This is the Danger Close Podcast, Beyond the Books, with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. My guest today, Chris Albanese, former Secret Service agent, author, and one of the hosts of the Crew Reviews Podcast. Awesome guy, his book, Drone Kings. It's not available yet, but I got an early sneak peek at it. It is awesome. I really appreciate him sharing that with me. And now, without further ado, Chris Albanese. All right. What's up, man? Hopefully that fucking thing doesn't ring. What, what is it? What's going on? What's over there? Uh, just this fucking work shit. Uh, well, what's work now? Uh, it's a, uh, it's an independent agency within the federal reserve bank that I helped stand up after I left the secret service. That sounds shady. So I was like, that's no, not, no, no, that no. immediately sounds shady to me. Not at all. Uh-huh. No, oh, it's, I it's, just set up this like, little thing with the federal reserve bank. Uh-huh. It, knock, it, knock. It is someone going to be knocking on my door right here? Has This is, yeah, this is all a setup. It's all about consumer protection actually. Oh really? So, so you transferred over to something else. Yeah. I had the opportunity. I just opened up and I was like, fuck, dude, I got to get out of the secret service because I was traveling too much. My wife was traveling to get the two young kids. And I put in, they're like, you're exactly the guy we're looking for to help nice. us start this up. And I was like, all right, let's do no it. No kidding. So that counts as like, is that like in the military, you'd call it a lateral transfer or something like that. So you transfer lateral over. Trans- but here's the thing, lateral transfer. But do you lose time? I don't lose time. Oh, nice. They pay me more money yeah. and no one's trying to fucking kill me. Hey, so, well, that's, that doesn't sound lateral. That sounds like, you know, a step up or I guess, or a step down, depending on what you're, uh, what you're into, I guess. It, it's, it's, it's low key and, uh, pays more and allows me to work from home. So dude, it's fucking, it's the best of both worlds. Nice. Nice. We'll keep that on. And if it rings, pick it up and we'll just edit it out. So <laughs> just, uh, just do it, man. But it's awesome. I'm so looking forward to this because that's what I love most about this podcast is that like, we wouldn't probably pick up the phone right now unless we're like texting back and forth about, if I have a question about right. the secret service or you right, have right, something right. or whatever, then we'll go back and forth a few times and then that's it. And then we'll and then, link yeah, up on like your podcast later, two months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on, uh, on the crew review and we'll sit down, whatever, but there's other people on it, you know, at the same time, because you have three other, other hosts. So I was really looking yeah. forward to, to this, just to being able to hang out for a little bit. Uh, pretty cool, dude. Thanks for this, this, uh, this opportunity too. Uh, I got to tell you though, Mike, Mike, Mike and Sean were like, if you don't mention the crew reviews, you're, not, <laughs> you're, you're like kicked out of the show. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll mention them a few times. I feel like I should have whiskey in front of me, but it's a little early. A little uh, early. It's never an early day. Oh, look at that. Oh, nice. You got the high West. I'm going to have to ask you. you to start sending those to me because uh, I have these whiskey glasses. Oh, here they are. Right here. So I've got these whiskey glasses right here. I, dude, I saw those. We were talking about those in our DMs. Yeah. Me, Mike, and Sean were like, those things are fucking beautiful. Who's doing those? We want to exactly. hire. Well, exactly. So it took forever because I've been wanting to do this for like three years. So it's been on my list. I, we for spoke like three about years. that. Yes. And did, yeah. uh, so I'm like, I got to I gotta figure this out. But I can't just like go to some company that does merch, quote right. unquote, and then they'll throw your logo on something. And it's just a, like a brittle. You know, I have to do it different. I have to do I have to go next level. So it took yeah, like three the, yeah, years the, to figure all this out. Uh so we got whiskey bottles from High West, and then uh, we sent them to somebody, and they cut it and sand it and all that stuff and engrave it oh, and wow. all that. So it's the actual whiskey bottle, like the one you have there. But now I got to start collecting them because, uh, you know, I don't drink that much. I mean, I yeah, I yeah. shouldn't drink that much whiskey. No, you really shouldn't. No, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I you need to. I totally maybe I have to ask you to send now. those. Yeah, I have to ask you that to send totally those to makes- me. 
Uh, uh, definitely. But it totally makes sense now because I was like, that glass. I'm like, how the fuck did he get that glass like that? And mm -hmm. it's it's the bottle. It's the bottle. Yeah, it says Park City on the back right there. So they're pretty serious. Like this thing, Dude. I think if I dropped it, I don't think it would break. Like from maybe a little, Jack, maybe way up here, but not not down Jack, there. Jack Carr never does anything half-assed. I mean, I just don't. <laughs> I mean, it took Bro, three years. See. Yeah, well, you should see what we did with our, our glasses. And we I have warned people like, don't. Don't fucking wash it. <laughs> don't wash. I know you told me when you said it to me. Don't wash it. Don't breathe on it wrong. Like just I, look at it. Uh, Throw it on a bookshelf. Put it on a shelf. Exactly. I wanted one that would double as a weapon. I like that dual purpose type of a thing. So a lot of the, right? yeah, a lot of the merch that I have like does fulfill both um, <laughs> you know both roles in a, in a pinch. See, you know. It, yeah, I hear you, bro. It's either a shovel or a fucking <laughs> bludgeon. Everything. Bludgeon. Yes, anyway, I like yeah. to test the kids. Like, what's the what's the best weapon? <laughs> and my daughter will be like, Oh, I can only really imagine you as their dad. Oh. <laughs> But my daughter will still do it. Son. If I should, if she, even that she's 17 now, but uh, even when she was like six, you know, I'd ask her what's, what's the best weapon, and she'd be like, "The mind." That's right. That's right. But That's she still does it today. She still does. Bro, it I just had that conversation with my 12 year old. He's like, "Dad, when are you going to teach me how to fight? Like, I want to nice. be able to fight, whatnot." I said, "Dude, what's your greatest weapon?" He's like, "Well, you, you know, my elbows and my knees." Because we talk about that stuff all the time. I'm like, "No, you idiot. What's your greatest <laughs> weapon?" He's like, "Yeah, my my brain." I'm like, "Yeah, nice. use that." You know, if you can avoid getting into a fight, that's the first nice. thing. I'm like, fighting is the la very last thing that you want to have to do. Awesome. I'm like, you've never been punched in the face before. He goes, yeah, but I'm like, you ever see stars? He goes, that's a real thing. Mm -hmm. like, you yeah. got to get him in the ring. Got to give him the ring. Just a little, get the pads going just a little bit, little, you know. Yeah, Knocking the head. Yeah. 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 My little guy is like a natural boxer. It's weird. Like he just, for, for whatever reason, like you know, elbows in, you know, hands are up and, and he, and he's got them some killer jabs and crosses and moving pretty, his head. Yeah. Stuff. It's pretty sick. Mm. Yeah. And he's only seen Rocky a couple of times. So I don't know where it comes from that for him. Genetic, it's just, bro. yeah, for him it is, I guess, but we're going to get the mitts going and get, uh, get a little more serious about it here as he gets a little, little bit. Yeah. I think that's what we're going to do with, with my son, Logan. I was like, you know what? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll take some jujitsu classes together, mm -hmm. bro. I'm like, maybe we'll do some of that. And he goes, yeah, that's like grappling on the ground and stuff. I'm like, bro, every fight goes to the ground. So. Good to know. Good to <laughs> know for that foundation. My little guy, we've done a little jujitsu together. I mean, he was in it, depending on what he's doing, uh, skiing right. or lacrosse or whatever. There's seasons for, for some of this stuff, but uh, he's doing some jujitsu, but he doesn't like it as much. He likes to, he likes to stand up and throw hands. This kid. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. So, Hey, uh, if that's what he's into, I'm going to definitely, uh, not discourage it. You know, it's a good, no, good yeah, foundation not, to, to have. That's for sure. And you get some, some, uh, some, uh, hand to hand stuff going on in the novel and drone Kings, which I loved by the way, it was Dude, awesome for reading that. Bro. Of course. Appreciate that. Of course. That's... No, it's, it's really good. And I mean, so good. You want, what, what award did you win? It's won like a couple. Yeah. Awards, so right? no, uh, the Clive Custler. You know, the, the oh, Adventure Writers Competition, Clive Cluster. I end up somehow winning that fucking thing. Go That's figure. That's amazing. That is yeah, so it's cool. pretty cool. So you submit yeah. it and then like it uh, goes into, well, I guess, to a board or something and they read it. Yeah, and then so, so the crazy, yeah. So the crazy thing was, was you know, because we have that, I have that book podcast I do with the crew reviews and, and we interviewed Boyd Morrison, who was writing mm. um, Clive Cluster, co-writing, co-authoring Clive Cluster's yeah. uh, Oregon file stories. And doing my due diligence, went went back and was like, ah, you know, what's going on? And I was like, holy shit, there's a writing competition that's been going on for like almost 10 years. Was it in and the acknowledgments or something? Where was that? How'd you find out about that? It was on the website, uh, the Clive Clusler like nice. website. And okay. I was like, I was like, wow, it's part of the, like, when you become Clive Clusler and, and you may get there, I think you're, you're pretty close yeah. to it. But he has like a whole society of, a, of collectors of his books and his, and, and, oh, yeah. and all the other stuff that he's put out. And so, you know, they have a convention every year and part of it is this writer's competition. 
And so, yeah, I, I looked at it and I saw that it opened up in like January, which was like three months after we interviewed Boyd. And I was like, yeah, well, yeah, I got nothing to lose. Yeah. So I, I entered it and yeah, there's a whole, but there's like three different rounds. There's a whole bunch of judges. I actually became a judge this year, which is nice. kind of cool. So get to see the inner workings of it. And yeah. I was, and then as you know, being on the inside, I was like, it's like, yeah, it's uh it's pat on my back, man. That's fucking impressive mm -hmm. getting past all that. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. That's awesome. Well, it deserves it. It was such a fun read and so fast paced. Um, I loved it. You know, you did it. You did a great job with it. Uh, grabs it, you right away. Excellent characters all the way through. I, I really did love it. And uh, I know it's going to be on a, on the on shelves in, you know, Barnes and Noble on Amazon with a big publisher at some point. So at some um, point. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's awesome. Um, but yeah, Clive Cussle, I think, I think his, so raise the Titanic would people think that it's, yeah. it's his, they think it's his first book, but it's really his third. Um, right. and I think that's the first time that seals are mentioned in fiction. I think. Is it really? I Dude, believe that's so. Crazy. Yeah. You know, he was like so. a sales guy. He didn't have any connection to the military really. And, and for him to, to do all that stuff, it's, Fucking amazing. Incredible. I got to meet him before he passed away. Um, oh, you did? Yeah. We went down to um, uh, uh, Barbara Peters from Poison Pen called right, me right. and said, hey, we're doing a, a book signing and uh, uh, Clive will be there. His son Dirk will be there. And we went down, or I went down and uh, went to this, um, uh, one of his car museums. Uh, so <laughs> he was genius about how he did this. Genius. So yep. the tax write-off stuff and what you mentioned earlier, I don't know how many connections there are to the yeah, IRS yeah, yeah. there, but, uh, but when you buy something like that, I guess each book he bought, maybe one of these, uh, classic cars that, uh, yep. he has in the back. Yeah. You always see it on the back. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, but he bought them and then for the tax write-off, I guess you put them mm -hmm. in a museum and the public can come and see these cars. Yep. And one was in Colorado and one was in Arizona. Yeah, so I went to the one, one in, uh, oh, you went to the Colorado one? Yeah. Is that where they did the con sick. the uh, convention or something? Yeah. So that year, uh, 2021, that's where they had it. And so we went to it and it fucking blew my mind. Nice. My I think that's bigger. Me. Okay. Dude, it's, it's unreal. The cars that he has, like some, there's only like 12 in the world and he has Incredible. two of them. Amazing. <laughs> like amazing. Yeah. Oh my million, gosh. You know, multi-million dollar vehicles and yeah. yeah, anybody can go in there, but that was genius with the, the, the taxes and everything. Oh <laughs> like, yeah. So smart, oh, yeah. I'm thinking that through right now. Cause some, <laughs> there's some items starting to pile up outside, uh, from, right. from Toyota. Um, uh, so, so I'm thinking, I'm looking at him as an example, but, uh, but his, the beautiful, so I went to the one in Arizona and that one, uh, not as big as the one in Colorado, Beautiful though. Oh my gosh. And I got to get there early and hang out with him and Dirk and we all had our docks and dive watches on. So we took oh, a picture with our, yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah. took our pictures. Yeah. I'm looking for one from the, from the sixties though. I want to go back and get an original. Mine's from like, oh, wow. uh, 2000, I think, or yeah, 2001, maybe I think. Um, but, uh, but I want to go back and, and find one of the originals, uh, that he talks that, about. That's a legit books. thing. They do that. They do that every year. The, 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 the photo and, and you know, showing the watches, Dirk will be there and whatnot. Oh, do they at the, at the convention? Oh, yeah. I'm just like, I'm like, dude, that's, that's dedication. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's legit. And it came in a cool thing. I think the one I got was a, uh, it was before the movie um, came out in like 2005, uh, Sahara. But, uh, yeah. but I guess mine was 2001, I think, but it came in a cool commemorative um, uh, Clive Cussler thing. And it was, uh, so I still have it. I still have, it. I was just looking at it. You, the know, other day. you know, there was such an issue with, with Sahara and I know, you, you know, you have the, you know, you were an executive producer and you did some of the writing on the terminal list. Mm -hmm. He had such an, Clive had such an issue yeah. with the screen, the screenwriting for Sahara and between him and the studio, there were. 
he really didn't have any creative control over that, or they didn't allow him in there. Right. And he really didn't like the final product. He didn't like where it was going. He didn't like, even though the, the, the movie was entertaining, if, if you sure. remove it from the book and whatnot, mm -hmm. but he had no creative control. And, I, and it's interesting to see how the industry has changed somewhat where they allow like the writers, the creators of the story originally to come in and, and provide some insight and some. Make yeah. Work. Yeah. I think the normal is to get rid of the author right away so that right. you're not on set just being a disruption, <laughs> telling everyone yeah, how, how much they, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I think they realized that very early on in, uh, in Hollywood. So, uh, <laughs> but there are examples of mine with terminal list being able to be a part of it from, yeah. uh, inception all the way through production and post-production and, and all the rest of it. So that was, uh, that was really cool. And I feel extremely fortunate that they trusted me enough to bring me in and to make me a, a part of it. So, um, yeah, that was Dude, as, as, as cool. a fan and as you know as a reader and everything like i want to see that stuff yeah. you know the reason i like those stories is because of the book and so if it's you know if, if it if it deviates too much uh on a different medium yeah yeah I, i'll enjoy it but at the same time i'll be like ah why didn't they do this or yeah. how come they changed that you know yeah, so I try to be uh, as forgiving as possible. Um, yeah. I've always, I've always been fairly forgiving when I see something and just kind of gloss over it, especially if it's tactics or gun handling or something oh, like yeah, that. I try to separate that, although it's very difficult sometimes. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, why wouldn't they just send that actor to like three days of training with someone that knows what they're doing, so right. he doesn't, you know, uh, cover himself or his buddy, or he's not just being a, <laughs> like, come on. Uh, yeah, right. So I, yeah, but uh, but I try to get past that and just you know enjoy it for what it is. So I'm not just, you know, hyperventilating on the couch. So I'm just relaxing yeah. and enjoying something. Uh, yeah, I have to do that with, with Secret Service movies. I bet. I bet. I do want to, I want to ask you about all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it was it, interesting in the, in, in the show in that, uh, that I got to be involved. I learned so much, obviously, yeah. but the downside is that if it's awful, you can't say, Hey, I had no creative control. <laughs> Tollywood take took it. They ruined it. You know? So when they do take it away, you know, from the author and they just you know, option it and then you do whatever they want, right. uh, then you'd be like, Hey, it's awful. Then you have not, you know, Hey, they screwed it up. But if you're involved, you have ownership. Uh, and yeah, there's no, set, yeah, you, you gotta be, you gotta be all there. You gotta, you know, well, let's, be, let's, let's be <laughs> fair though. The critics pretty much uh, said it was shit. <laughs> they did. And I think they're doing more to help sales and oh, yeah, no, views dude. and clicks or whatever else than, uh, than just like, than the good reviews. So I, uh, I humbly, yeah. I humbly thank them. Who they, was it? PT Barnum said there's no such thing as bad publicity. I believe Not so. Bad I publicity, believe so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the daily beast was, a, was especially, uh, mean hearted uh unkind mm. uh unnecessarily so i think um but hey you know that's just that's how it but goes. that disparity between uh the critics i use my air quotations critics yes. and viewers is is stunning yeah that's what you want that's what you want you want i mean you want both like top gun yeah, maverick true. top right. gun maverick whatever it is 98 on both like that's that's ideal but uh you know if you if, if uh, other than that you would want I think <laughs> the audience at 95, 98 yeah. critics, wherever they are, rather than critics at 98. And then your audience at 12, 15, yeah. 20. And then, and then you're winning, so you maybe win an award at a film festival that no one, no one's ever going to watch. <laughs> exactly. Right? Like who cares? You exactly. want eyeballs on, you want eyeballs. Yeah. On for this problem. kind of a thing, for sure. I mean, yeah. this is, uh, this is commercial fiction. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it but same thing with Hollywood, as you know, in publishing those names that we all know, like yeah. Stephen King, James Patterson, you know, John Grisham, you know, they're essentially paying for 
all the other books that don't make back their advances that don't make a profit. So same <laughs> so thing, true. like the Avengers pays for everyone in Hollywood, essentially. <laughs> so it's very rare that a show or a movie, um, you know, breaks Recoups, out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's uh, so all those shows that win at the Academy Awards. Um, they're only there because the Avengers is paying for them to be there. Essentially. That's a, yeah, that's the Marvel a, universe. A crazy thing. Yeah. The Marvel, Marvel universe is paying for everything. Although uh, the Terminalist and, and uh gray man and yeah, all the other things. I mean, there's, are those are like, those are, Obviously, yeah, those two, Outliers, but I'm talking maybe. about the ones that uh, that the critics love, that you're getting awards for, and all that sort of a thing. Not all the time, but uh, in a large number of cases, uh, yeah. not that many people are seeing Bro, it. I can't tell you. They, they'll come out with like the the best film of the year, and I'm just like, I've never seen that, nor, yeah. nor do I have a desire to ever see it. Exactly. No. Exactly. But similar, you know, similar in, in publishing. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate True. that mine did, uh, you know, you know, fine right out of the gate, whatever. But, uh, but I learned a little bit about the industry and how, uh, those big names that we've they've been around for 30 years, they're essentially paying for a lot of other authors, which is cool. It's cool. Yeah. You get your work out there and let you build up and maybe it's, uh, you know, four or five sit book number six, that something hits or whatever. Uh, so that happens quite often as well. So it's really interesting, really interesting industry. I think, I think the, the, the rule of thumb was, um, and it maybe it was Steve Barry who mentioned it. He was a very, uh, successful author in our genre. Mm -hmm. Um, He's it awesome. takes about five, five or six books before you actually get a reader on average, uh, uh, like a readership, a base of readers yeah. who will, who will go out and, and religiously buy your books and then buy all your, your backlist and then yeah. promote you, you know, word of mouth type of stuff. And that's, and that's where it usually begins. Yeah. Yeah. And I heard that too. And Steve, what a great guy. He blurred my first book right out of the gate. He's always a yeah, thriller awesome. fest. Yeah. He has great advice for, uh, for authors that are stepping into the, to the industry. Yeah. Um, what a fantastic guy still at the top of his game. Um, just so kind. There's all those, all those guys I found are like that. Uh, you know, Lee Child, amazing. Same thing. He's yeah. at Thriller Fest. He's at these, he doesn't have to go to BoucherCon at Thriller Fest. Like <laughs> oh, he's, he's good, yeah. you know, but he he's does. He's so approachable too. Yeah. Such a, such, such a soft-spoken, approachable individual who, doesn't have to be, right? No. Doesn't have to do any of that stuff. No. And uh, he reads, like, I thought I read a lot of books throughout the year, but he reads, he's like a, a machine. Yeah. And and what he does, I love what he does is he finds, he doesn't go after like the big names and then blurb. He finds like the new debut mm -hmm. or, or someone with maybe one or two books out and, yeah. and then he dives into it and then he'll provide a blurb. Like you see his name on tons of books yeah. because he's just like, I love that energy you get from a new author, debut yeah, author. That's awesome. Yeah, he uh, he blurred my second book. So True Believer, he blurred that one. But walking out of BoucherCon, you know, he's, I, I'm walking in, he's walking out, I see him um, and he's dressed all in, you know, in black and of course with his, little, with his jacket yeah. on and everything and he pull, pulling out a cigarette. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. You know, just totally, just normal, great to talk to, so awesome. Get to thank him for the blurb and, and everything. But, um, you know, I've got to run into him at uh, both Thriller Fest and, and BoucherCon. And I do tell people that are starting out, and I think you guys do too on, on Crew Reviews, um, and I, I think most, a lot of authors do that. They recommend people go to BoucherCon, go to Thriller yeah. Fest, do that agent. What is it called? Agent speed dating. When you go and you sit down uh, for like two I minutes or that, something. Yeah. Right. And you just boom, boom, boom. You yeah. just get used to telling, you know, pitching your elevator pitch, your story yeah. to, to the agents and whatnot. I mean, what a great opportunity, especially when yeah, you like I, buy that, uh, what was it? Book of agents that comes out every year. I think that, bro, bro, I, I have one from 20. It's so funny. I was talking to, um, Brad Thor about the last time I bought one of those agent books yep. was in 2000, maybe it was 2002. Oh, wow. And, and because now everything, you know, you can go like on query net okay. or query.net, whatever. Like you can use the internet now, but 
that book was like the Bible if you wanted to break into to writing. And, yeah. and I've always wanted to be a writer. And so, you know, I had all those editions. And the last one I bought, and it was funny because I was looking through it recently and I was talking to Brad Thor and I was like, dude, your name's not even in this. Like your agent, your agent. And he has a very, you know. Yeah, like she has two a, yeah. agents. She has two clients. Right, right. And so yeah, I'm like, your name's not there, dude. He goes, yeah, well, I hadn't made it yet. <laughs> Like, oh, they have the names like, of, oh, in there is the names of authors that they represent. So the names of the authors of oh. the, yeah, and I was just like, I was like, wow, I'm like, you're like her one, one of, if not the biggest, right. Uh, in the genre. And like, it's so funny. It's so early in your career that you were still a, a blip on the, on the radar. Yeah. Now look, now look at where you're at within the industry. That is interesting. That is, but someone who gets that book or finds it online, it's like, oh, I need an agent. I heard I need an agent. I mean, it's daunting. I mean, that thing, oh if you God. have the actual book, it looks like an SAT study guide. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I bought one and I never opened it. Um, so, but I still have it. I, <laughs> I only know that because I found it the other day and I couldn't even remember that I bought it, but I must've gotten it like, as I was, you know, starting right down the road and I didn't know anything, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I never cracked it. Um, and, uh, but I saw it there, but I can only imagine how daunting it would be to like, okay, I'm going to write this query letter and then I'm going to go and I, do I start alphabetical? Do I go to the back and start going forward? Do I, how do I target? And there are ways you can be smart about it. Like go to the back of books in your genre, look at the acknowledgements. Yeah. Look at the yep. acknowledgements, go through yep. there, see who people are thanking. You know, that's how I did found my, my stuff. That's what I did. Um, but, uh, I think that's a good way to go and then go into that book and find all those agents that are being thanked in these different, different novels that you think might be, uh, interested in you, what you have there, yep. you know, so you can be smart about it, but rather than just starting <laughs> totally blank at the beginning, a, <laughs> like a phone book, you know, Dude, uh, oh my God, you know, you waste a ton of time. Yeah. I, I, I did it several years ago. I was in Barnes and Noble and I was, you know, the, like the, the new releases, uh, and I'm going through the back and yeah. I remember one of the workers just walking to like, what are you, cause I like had my notebook out and I like yeah, my yeah. pen and paper and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, just writing down some stuff. They're like, you gotta buy the book. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I will. I'm like, just uh, writing down agent. Yeah. Yeah. And stuff. No, it's a good way to good way to go about doing it. I Smart. think. That's how and I then, got my agent. <laughs> okay, nice. That's how you did it. You you targeted. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I actually, uh, it was Barack Obama's agent. <laughs> really? And then and then so she uh, when I submitted Drone Kings that my manuscript to her, she read it. She was like, I loved it. Um, but you know, I'm not obviously not Barack Obama or that caliber. And like, you know, who are you? So here, I'm going to give you to one of one of my junior associates, and got it. he's going to handle you and whatnot. So I was like. Whatever, hey, got in yeah, the door. There exactly. Exactly. No, that's awesome. Um, but I think also going to Thriller Fest, going to BoucherCon. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know if BoucherCon has the speed dating thing, but Thriller Fest does. And they have Craft Fest and they have that whole week of um, workshops and things like that. But yeah. that speed dating thing, I mean, he worked for Simon Gervais. He, that's how he found his, his agent. Um, there's a couple of people, I think, that have, have done that. And you uh, sit down. Don Bentley, I think. Um, oh, is that right? I forgot. I think he may have gotten, I don't know if, if Barbara Powell was doing it at the time, but I'm, I'm Maybe they were introduced there. Okay, got because it. Because not only do you have the speed dating, like where, where does a lot of the interactions yeah, happen? At the bar. Like, <laughs> gun at the bar, of course, right? And so you have, you have, which is amazing, is you have the agents, you have the publicists, you have the publishers, you have the yeah. editors, you have the authors, yeah. like, and everybody who's anybody is at the bar drinking, smoozing it up. And that's how you just 
Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. I love I love both going to both of those. I couldn't make Thriller Fest this year, but I'll be there next year. Couldn't make Lautricon. I'm on uh, lockdown. Um, finishing this book, I'm locked in my room <laughs> until I finish my homework. Type <laughs> of a thing. Uh, I canceled my entire fall. I had a, a crazy oh hunt gosh, planned dude. for Alaska, and I just canceled it on Monday. It's like oh, a three really? year wait list type thing. And um, <laughs> but I was like, oh man, those deadlines, know. huh? Those deadlines. Yeah, you, yeah, they do. And uh, I didn't, you know, I had nothing to gauge uh, how much time it would take for promotion of the show and what I, how much I'd be involved yeah. and all that stuff. So I really, you know, it's my first time down that path. So I had no idea, um, but it was a lot. So, uh, which is awesome, but uh, it necessitated yeah. me canceling my fall and uh, I'll be writing right through it, rented a cabin down the road to, uh, to write in. So um, are, are, are yeah. you still doing that? Are you doing the yeah. sequestering yourself? Uh-huh. So there's no, yeah, I have to, Smart. I have to, I mean, even we, we moved and we're more remote and all that stuff, but um, the place we bought has, uh, we need a little work. So there are people coming and going dog barking, you know, it's just, yeah, you're going to get anything. Yeah. Done. So, uh, so yeah, I'm going to go lock down there here shortly. Um, and then go kind of uh, a couple weeks. What, at a time. Where were you? Where were you going to hit in Alaska? Because you had been there just uh, not too long ago, I think. Right? Yeah, it was like their last fall as well. Um, so I went up in the Wrangell Mountains last year, which was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, flew in, got on horses, took the horses in, made That's a camp, awesome, and w- went out from there. So that was crazy. Um, had a very successful uh, trip. And then, uh, but a couple years ago, when I was doing the research for Savage Sun. And, mm-hmm. uh, that's why I went to Kamchatka, Russia to do that, did a hunt there yeah. so I could really, you know, some cool stories yeah, there, bro. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. One of them is right behind me. If you don't know, you can see that. But, uh, so that was, that was a crazy one in Russia, but I got so much from, from that, that I could then weave into, and the book was pretty much done at the time. Um, yeah. but I came back and then wove all the things that I learned into, into the story, uh, from being it's on the ground, but I didn't know I was like, trying to get there. I couldn't quite figure out how I was going to do it. And I kind of overbooked 2019 big time. Uh, so I already had something that I'd been on the, had been on the books for, uh, I think three years. And so I got right back from that trip. And a week later I was in Alaska, um, with glacier guides doing another hunt up there. And that's what, that's what this one was, was going back with them. Um, Oh, cool. Yeah. But then I had to cancel. I feel horrible, but, um, somebody else will get a great deal. Jack Carr, you you are yeah. (laughs) Jack Carr, you're living the life that, uh, all of us, uh, all of us want to do. I know you're, you're, you're busy, but at the same time, you're, you're very calculated, you're very focused, but if if anybody were to look at, and Sean and Mike, uh, my co-host on the crew views, we we talk about this often. Anybody would look at your social media, and and I hate social media because it's it's but it's necessary. You are you have become a pro at it. Like you've attacked it. You 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 wrote down a mission plan and you attacked it, and you have set the bar for everyone else to to try to reach. <laughs> and dude, it's it's difficult <laughs> to get to that level, but. Uh, the fact that you're like here and there and, and you, the way you makes it appear, and it's actually, you know, it's, it's the internet, it's social media. So what, you know, appearances aren't everything, but it appears like, dude, you are on the go 24 um, seven. Yeah. And with a, with a family, with young kids, with writing, I'm like, dude, this fucking guy's like Superman. This is crazy. Well, I'm exhausted. Uh, yeah, I don't, course, don't sleep, yeah. don't eat I'm right. No exercise. <laughs> Yeah, like those three <laughs> things fell off. And that's what I'm trying to put back on the schedule this year is getting some sleep, starting to eat right again, getting some exercise, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing. So that's part of my, uh, 
Uh, it's going to be chaos till the end of the year, but I think moving into, I put some things in place, some different processes to make things more effective and efficient and, uh, I'll refine those over the next few months so that when I hit 2023, uh, now I have really more of a support rather than me running around like a crazy person all the time doing everything. <laughs> I have like a sport network, uh, set I up. So feeling. <laughs> but what people don't see on social media is like this morning. So I try to get our little guy out of bed, like, dude, we got to get to school. Come on, buddy. Let's do this. Let's get up. And then me. you're like late and I'm looking at the watch and then I, I'm driving down and I, and I stop and oh, look at, we got two moose right over there, buddy. And he's like, dad, you're going to make us late. I'm like, I'm going to make us late. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I was just trying to get you out of bed for 15 minutes. Like, uh, you know, and then racing back here and then trying to do a little a quick little edit upstairs on like a podcast Dude. that drops today and then running in here last second. Like, Hey, uh, reading the, your book, which was awesome though. Cause I just turn off everything and just did uh, all did that. So that I love doing that. So that's an added benefit of, uh, of doing the dude. podcast as well. Uh, and then a lot of the things also, um, and you have some great quotes in there, by the way, I compliment you mm. on a couple of quotes that I had not uh, read before, uh, civil war era type quotes. That, yeah, uh, yeah, you, yeah. That's that my thing. In. I know. Oh, I wanted to ask you about that. I'm definitely, okay. it's in, it's in my, it's in my notes here. Um, <laughs> but I was like, Oh, really cool. I haven't seen these before. Cause a lot of the, some of the quotes out there, you see, you know, quite, quite a bit, but I hadn't seen yep. these before and maybe you want to do a little more research. Um, but Podcast wise is a ton of work, as you know, from doing the crew reviews, because yeah, you have to read well. these books as well, come up with your questions. Like it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's a lot of work um, yeah. and it's commitment as well. And then you owe it to the guests to, you know, to read their book yeah. and come up with questions and all that stuff. So it is a, it's a, it's a, it's a thing. Um, but in being forced to read some of these books, like this week, <laughs> every single person coming on had a book. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I need to, I need to like two a week. Like has to be the max of authors that's, coming on. Dude, that's, that's too much. Bro. It's too much. <laughs> it's too much. And I've, thus far I've read everyone's book who has come on. Um, but unless they have like 30 and I'm just, just found them, you know, then I'm just, reading the yeah. one, the, the first, the one that we're going to talk about. But uh, yeah, that's the, but the added benefit is like the other day I had someone on and he had a book that uh, talks about uh, a, a very close nuclear exchange from 1983 and that wasn't really publicized until 20 or so 1999 when a former Soviet official wrote his memoirs and yeah, they found yeah. out how close we got back then. And so, but I was like, okay, so that stuff will probably end up a sentence from there or something inspired from reading that book will probably end up in the novel that I'm working on right now. Uh, and I, and cool. I wouldn't, had I not been forced to read the book, because even though I wanted to, it probably would have gone to the side and I would have focused on writing mine. Um, but being forced to do that. And that happened last year as well. Um, uh, reading the Afghanistan papers, um, reading, um, uh, Peter Bergen's book on, on bin Laden, like that stuff, like a, even if it's just a, just a hint or a sentence or something, like something will come out of there and spark a little creativity that then works its way into the storyline, no matter how subtle. Oh. Yeah, we're the exa I'm exactly the same way. My my computer's littered. You can't see it because it's just the the camera facing this way. With with post its of and and I say with, to a lot of people like when I'm reading books, I I I, I find passages or sentences, and I'm just like, dude, this is really good, and it uh -huh. just it it just hits me a certain way. Yeah. So I write it down and and I dwell on it and I incorporate the idea of it, not the words, but I incorporate the idea of it into like whatever I'm working on, like a yeah. short story or or manuscript. Um, but yet there, there are so many, I, I commend you for you, know, you having two authors or, uh, every week, five this week, four, dude, that's crazy Yeah, because I know I have to read a shit ton of work because <laughs> I wouldn't want to have a guest on when I wouldn't want to be a guest on a show where the person's asking me these generic questions. Cause what happens is a lot. Um, and I'm, I'm looking to see if I have any here is you'll get, 
you'll get a book. If if you're a, like a book reviewer, yeah. right? Um, you'll get a book, and and within that book, they'll send you right that something like this. Yep, right, exactly. And in this, there'll be about the author, the right. blurb about the book, and there's like, and they'll here's some suggested questions yeah. you want to ask. If you're a book reviewer or if you're doing uh, interviews of, of of authors, you never ask those fucking questions. Yeah, ever. they know right away. It's stupid. And for, you, yeah. First of all, you're you're half assing it, right? And, yeah. And first of all, I know Jack Carr doesn't half ass anything, and I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want someone interviewing me half assing yeah. it. Yeah. And so you have to take the time to read the book, and I would never have someone on my show. Yeah. Who hadn't, I hadn't read their book, and then ask very insightful questions that you think that other people may not be asking. And of course, you got to ask the question. Um, that a lot of people would ask because it's books and there's, there's mm-hmm. similar themes and whatnot. But you also want to get into the nitty gritty maybe yep, a little yep, bit, yep. And some specific stuff. Especially on a podcast. Like if it's AM radio right. and these guys are doing, you know, they have three hours in the morning and they got to right. fill it and they have, you know, each one of those hours maybe has an author in it. I can see them and you know, and that's for me, I'm like, that's fine. You want to, you yeah. know, whatever, you know, you have, can't you have hear my five answers. to 10 <laughs> to 15 minutes, maybe in there, if you get a commercial. Um, so those ones, I think it's, it's more set up for, for those rather than like a podcast, deep conversation type of a type of a thing. But I think if like, I don't know if I'll, I'll be able to always read everyone's book. I'm always going to make the attempt and I have thus far, yeah, yeah. but eventually something will happen and I won't be able to, and they'll be scheduled and I'll be like, I can't reschedule this person. What? Like it's Lee child or it's someone that I really want yeah. you know, to talk to. And I'll be like, okay, well, I've read enough of his stuff. That's a bad example. Yeah, exactly. That's a bad example. But but someone else who like, I haven't for some reason read or whatever, uh, but I really want to talk to and I might be like, Hey, I'm so, so I have not read this book. I am so excited to read it. And then we talk about their career and the th- yeah, like yeah. other stuff in there that maybe wouldn't be on those questions either. But I think I'm gonna have to be honest about it instead of trying to can't fake it. You know, you'll know. You you can tell when some, because uh, yeah, I've seen other author interviews and I love the long, as, as opposed to the, like the, the radio stuff where you get your, your five minutes, your 10 minutes and you hear those. And those are usually canned responses because I know from, from like you guys and, and uh, from like you and, and Mark Rainey, uh, and, and, and Josh, the guys who are doing the, the, like the interviews, it's the, it's the same five questions. And so they just repeat the answer over and over and over again. You're like exhausted at the end of the day, but I love the long form because yeah. you, you, you can ask those, those questions and then have a conversation yeah, about yeah. it. Um, and then go and go in a direction that maybe that five minute, you know, blurb on the, the radio yeah. just would never get to. Yeah. But you have to do it. You have to do it all. Yeah. You have to do it all because you know, those AM radio local markets important. Um, you know, I think even if it has 50 listeners, you know, like if podcast has two listeners, like that's important because it's not just those two listeners. It's, it's you making the effort to go on that podcast, them appreciating it and then telling their mom, their dad, their brother, their sister, their coworker that, Hey, this guy came on my podcast. It was awesome. We had such a good time. You got to check out this book. Maybe Mm -hmm. one of those five people does it. And then they tell somebody. And then, so now that two people has become five, has become 10, has become 20. Um, yeah. So it's, so I think it's important to, to do all that stuff. If you just do something big, um, you know, uh, you get a spike, boom, and then you're back. You got to continuously do all those things that, uh, that help you engage with that readership and build it. You know what I mean? Who's doggy in the background? To, give me, give me two seconds. Who's the dog? What, what dog do you have? I that, that dog uh, doesn't sound my, that fierce for a no, secret service my, agent. It's, it's my border collie, and uh, there's someone at the front door. So uh, we're gonna have to edit this one. Give me take your pistola. Be careful. Yeah, no, no shit. All right, so, everything, uh, everything all right? I didn't hear any gunshots. Yeah, 
No, no, no gunshots. No one. Uh, these are my cleaners. I can't kill my cleaners. God, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> but they, I rescheduled them. They were supposed to come at two o'clock. And of course. That's how it goes. You know, that happens all the time. That happens all the time around here. Things like that. Uh, but, but that my, my dog is, um, my house, it's, it's set back. It's not, it's not in a development, but there's like dev- developments are around. So, but I'm set back. I have some privacy and, but my dog, like anything that all right. anywhere remotely close, she's, a, she's a border collie. She's fucking genius. Um, so she's my, she's my first, I have cameras, but then, but then also she hits, she hits it before the cameras even see anything. Nice. And so then I know, yeah, know yeah. there's something there. Oh yeah. No, I like it. I like it. Yeah. We're doing the same similar things. I don't want to talk about it too much because then people can figure out how to get around things. Yeah. But, bro, uh, that's what all those, you know, the different, different layers of security, you know, bro, you have your concentric circles. You, you have to do it. Outer, yeah, and you know all about that bro, stuff. Like, <laughs> like, uh, before I ask you about the secret service stuff though, the short story, actual stop, which I have not read. I didn't know about it till right now. I don't know how I didn't okay. know about it, but you've never mentioned it to me before. Um, nah. what is, what is, uh, what is actual stop? So, uh, it's a, it's a short story of actually a minor character within, within drone Kings, which one, um, and, uh, it's a minor character named Tommy who he, he's, very yeah. short amount of time takes over the, the detail, right? Right, he's on the detail, and so, but I wanted to go back a little bit to show a little bit of his training. Cool. An actual stop within within the Secret Service, and I don't know if the 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 Navy was was doing this when we were running scenario based um, like attacks and whatnot, and we would run them all the time. You'd have instructors looking over you um, uh, and around you, and then if something happened or something was, it's designed to put stress on the agents, but if something was unsafe or dangerous, because it's a training scenario, anybody could yell actual stop. Okay. And so it's so not part of the act- scenario, like stop, stop. And people are like, wait, what? No, yeah. Not like, part of the, yeah. 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 Right. Is right. this so, stop, stop so, or stop or no? Yeah, what are we yeah, doing here? Exactly. Thing, you know, you're, you're protecting dead. You're like, yeah, yeah. you failed. Like, exactly. No, no, no. I thought that person yelled stop, but no, that's part no, of the exactly. thing. Yeah. And so, and so uh, the secret service hires uh, actors right in these scenario in these scenarios and so you'll have crowds of people you'll have a president these are all actors that the secret service hires to make it you know you know real right yeah. like a real world scenario and sometimes the people in the in there will be like will yell stop stop right. to see the reaction because how you train is how you'll you'll perform uh, you know, when you're actually doing the job. And, and so it's actual, actual stop is what nice. anybody can yell. Yeah. The instructors will yell. And I thought that would be an interesting thing to show a training scenario and how it looks real. And from the reader standpoint, you think it's real until you get to the very end. No, you ruined it. Come on. You can't get, yells, you got to edit well, it now. We got to yeah, edit this edit. out. <laughs> oh man. That's awesome. Someone's reading it. No, no, that's really cool. Um, so it was in mystery weekly magazine, but you never mentioned yeah. this to me. You got to tell me this stuff. Yeah, man. I'm looking, I'm going to, I'm going to read it for sure. Because, um, cause I know that character obviously now from reading the the book and like the book so much, I'm going to definitely check that out. But, um, what is the path into secret service? Like, what is that like? Like, what did you, when did you decide you wanted yeah. to do it? What was your path in? Cause a lot of people want to know that stuff. They're like, Hey, I'm a, I'm in high school. I'm in college. I'm taking yeah. criminal justice or I'm thinking about doing to be a justice studies major or something like that. What are things I can do? Law enforcement, federal law enforcement, secret service. How do you do that? Okay. Again, the website, what do I need? Okay. Like, like what was your path? My path was, um, it, to get into like any federal law enforcement job, you need a four year degree. So I ended up going to uh, state university in, in New Jersey, Rutgers University, getting a degree in, in, they called it administration justice, but it's really criminal justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ended up um, knowing 
someone within the state attorney general's office in New Jersey. Mm. And I was given, uh, you know, did an internship, ended up getting a position there, hired as a state investigator. Dude, so out, right out of college. Right out of college, right out of college dude. It was, they took a chance on me and I was hired like low guy in the totem pole. Wow. But, but. Are most you know, people coming myself. from uh, local law yeah, enforcement, that sort of a thing? Yeah. So they, they have, they have backgrounds and I was like the youngest guy, but like 10 years. And so I was kind of like, oh, I got to prove myself here. And I'm, you know, busting my ass for as long long hours, put together some really good cases, some really uh, influential cases. And I ended up working, so this is 2000, 2001, 2000, okay. before, before 9-11, I ended up working with a secret service agent out of the Newark, New Jersey field office, who has since become a good friend of mine. Okay. And we were working a fraud investigation that was tied to like an auto theft ring in New Jersey. Newark, New Jersey came to New Jersey like the auto at the time. I don't know if they are still, but they yeah. were the auto theft capital of the world. <laughs> I was just going to say that uh, I bet you were busy. Yeah, very busy because <laughs> they would take those cars, they would steal them, and then they would put them on shipping containers and send them to Africa. And it was right. it was such a big such a big business. So anyway, no, I was kidding. We what are they what are they targeting? What kind of cars were they targeting back then? So at that time, uh, 2000, 99, 2000, 2001, it was Toyota Camrys, Honda Civics. Uh, and Nissan Altimas because they were easy to to jump, no easy kidding. to get to, and and yeah, the, the statistics were just stupid. Like if you drove one of those cars, uh, it was getting stolen, especially really? if you were in those surrounding metro areas. Oh yeah, that's I, so wild. You could take any of those cars. You could t you could take a screwdriver, and you wouldn't even have to jam it in that far, uh, and you could you could turn the ignition on, oh, and wow. that's what a lot of guys were doing. No just, kidding. And then and then driving to the port. Put it on a shipping container and then goodbye. Jeez. And that's, I mean, how much do they turn them over? Like, how do they turn that a prop? It seems like that's. They were making money. Yeah. It was organized. It was organized crime. Yeah. Yeah. There was a ton of money to be made there. What kind of organized crimes doing that? At the time? So you're, you're talking, uh, so the street level, street level gangs doing the, the tactical level. Stealing the, yeah. Yeah. Doing, doing the stealing of the vehicles. And then you're talking, you're talking your, your Russian, a lot of Russian mafia. Okay. Some, some, some of the, you know, old school mob Italian stuff, but a lot of the Russian That's and, uh, guess. yeah, a lot, a lot of the Chinese were Korean. Oh, I, really? if you, so I, I was in the, the New Jersey, New York Metro, Connecticut Metro area. And so you have large groups of mm. Koreans, Chinese, Russians, Italians, wow. and you know, there's a lot of organized crime element in that. Man. So anyway, so I was working one of these cases with a secret service agent and, uh, this was in the beginning of 2001. And he was like, hey, why don't you, uh, we're, we're doing a really big push for the Secret Service right now. There's a mass hiring. Why don't you apply for it? And I had always wanted to get into federal law enforcement, probably the FBI. At that time, I was like, yeah, I want to be an FBI agent. Yeah. Um, but I was like, yeah, Secret Service, that'd be, that'd be a, a cool idea. I actually didn't really thought I'd be Secret Service like level because, you know, it's like the pinnacle and I say that with no bias. Um, so I was like, all right, all right. So I looked up, I got, I got the, uh, the application. And in those days you actually had to type out the application. Okay. There's no online stuff. So yeah. I'm, I'm on a typewriter and typing the shit out slowly like yeah. this. Right. And, uh, I had made, I'd made friends with, um, through the, my contact in, in, in New Jersey through the New York office, New York city field office. And they said I had a greater chance of getting hired through the New York City field office because they had they had a greater pool of applicants and they would draw more people from that pool. Mm. Whereas if I were to apply through Trent, New Jersey or New York, New Jersey, smaller pool, and they're only pulling one or two, you would have less of an opportunity. Interesting. Because you, 
the uh, your Navy SEAL, the requirements of becoming a Navy SEAL, although a lot more uh, difficult, I, I would think physically and mentally to becoming a Secret Service agent. Um, you know, there's, you know, what 10% of the guys would make it through buds at some About point 20, or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the secret service, like you, you would get 5,000 applicants and you would maybe, they would maybe pull three. So anyway, so I applied to the New York city Damn. field office and then nine 11 happened. Um, and my application, cause there, it's hard copies. Then nothing was digitized at that time. My application actually got destroyed when tower seven came down. No tower way. seven was with the secret service headquarters was. Whoa. Um, and so everything was just put on hold completely put on hold uh um a couple months after that they're like hey my buddy reach out he goes you need to reapply we are at this point yeah now we're we at need war people. yeah and we need people uh-huh. and we need everybody wow. you know everyone's hiring you know and we're and the secret service went at that point from the treasury department mm-hmm. to homeland this new agency this big yeah. behemoth the home department of homeland security and so like we are hiring a ton of people you have a greater chance now at any point in time to getting hired not that you didn't before, but you just have a great right. chance. So I reapplied uh, and it took 18 months yeah. from when I reapplied to when I actually got a, a letter of, of conditional employment. Okay. Man. But, and then, and then you know, but the Secret Service is cool as opposed to the FBI, which is not cool in the media right now. Uh, I saw a couple of headlines the Secret Service, Yeah, the Secret Service pulls from a huge pool of applicants where the FBI was really pulling from like a very specific pool. Oh, Cause really? I remember I went through the Academy with a good friend of mine now, and he was like uh, a marketing executive huh. in New York city. He had no law enforcement experience yeah. whatsoever. Now I went through and there were a lot of guys who were former cops, SWAT team, uh, you know, military, but then we had a whole bunch of, we had a couple teachers. Hmm. We had a couple uh, like, well, you guys did folks. in secret service. Yeah. in the secret service. So they pull those types of people because they want, so the job of the Secret Service is different, really, than a lot of the other uh, federal law enforcement agencies, because they want people who think, this is kind of cliche, but out, outside of the box, mm-hmm. they don't want the same point of view. Yeah. Because when it comes to doing executive protection and setting up your security plan, you want people thinking differently, right? And so how do you do that? You make sure you're pulling people from different areas and different life experiences, and then they you bring that all together as opposed to just having the same type of person who kind of looks like me, same background as me, law yeah. enforcement, and then just putting it all together. Cause then you'll end up just getting the same security plan over and over and over again. Interesting. No, I like that. Uh, so during those 18 months, you're still working in, uh, in New Jersey, still yeah. doing, doing cases. And are you also like, how does that work when you're doing, doing that sort of a thing? Are you putting together a case and then let's say you have a uh, do you put together like a targeting package or something like that? Like, Hey, this person who runs this ring is going to be at this building at this time. All right, oh, yeah. let's bring in SWAT. And then you go along with them or you bring in marshals if they have a warrant on them already or something like that. And then you're kind of there with them when you make entry and go and grab this person oh, and then you take oh, yeah. custody. Like, is that how it works or how's that, <laughs> so, how's that go so down? Not, not so much with the, uh, the attorney general's office. Uh, if we had something that was high threat like that, we would call on the state police state police would have a SWAT team. Mm-hmm. The AG's office didn't have a SWAT team. It was more uh, pencil pushing type of, yeah. of investigators, you know, investigators, you know, but they're still, still armed and whatnot and able to arrest. Uh, but so they would bring in uh, state police, but with the secret service, if it was high enough, the secret service, we would put together search warrant plan. We bring everybody together. You do your briefing. Um, you have your rally points and whatnot. And then we would go and execute, execute our search warrant or arrest warrant. But if we knew that the individual was armed, 
or had priors, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, we're doing a complete work up on, on the individuals that we're looking at or anybody that they're associated with that, that area in particular, we would actually bring in our toss team or our, you know, our, our special, our special weapons type team. Yeah, what does toss SWAT. stand for? Uh, technical operations uh, and security. I think it was that might have been. I wasn't on it. So what those guys would actually, they would do the entry. Oh, wow. And then, and then the, the case agents or lead agent who was running that investigation would, would be at the end of the stack. You yeah. know, those guys yeah, would yeah. do everything, go yeah. in and you're like, all right, that's my guy. That's yeah, exactly. My guy. Yeah. Get everybody. That's kind of like TV. They kind of get that right. Most of the time, yeah. you know, yeah, they do. nowadays, they do. you know, that, yeah, not all the time. I remember back in the nineties, they'd have like the guy with the pistol making lead entry, who was like an investigator and SWAT team behind him. And you're always like, that's probably not how it's going down. <laughs> no, no. I so I'd, I'd be the guy with like the, the you know you have your your little uh, your 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 vest on your raid jacket on and then the guys in front of you you got the tactical gear on the helmets and whatnot they got the long guns and they're going in there yeah. and they're putting people face down on the ground and I'm just going in there and be like yeah all right make sure he gets in the car yeah yeah talk to him like. Uh-huh. But much more civilized. Yeah, yeah. No, I like there. it. I like it. Uh, so you do that 18 months, you're doing this, and then you get your, uh, uh, at what point during that time frame do you find out that you're eventually going to have a, a class update or you've been accepted into into training for Secret yeah, Service? Yeah, so th- there's a whole bunch of different steps. So first of all, the, the Secret, Service, Secret Service wants to know your complete background, like yeah, everything. I would think going so. Going back. Going back to like when you were a kid. And and probably your family's background, I would think. Your your family's background, your friends, and what they do. And I actually did this at one point for the Secret Services. They go and then interview everybody. Yeah. Like plus plus one or two. Mm-hmm. So so like you interview someone and then- To you get like, somebody yeah, else. Because obviously you're not going to write else. down the name right. of someone who's going to say, that guy's a freaking crazy yeah. person. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you, what about uh, ex-girlfriends yeah. or ex-boyfriends? Oh. You know, if it's a female, you got any names? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, you've talked this person. Okay, and then you go talk right. to that person. You're like, all right, tell me the nitty-gritty. Yeah, tell yeah. me all the good things and the bad things because I want to know all those bad things because yeah. you want to know if the applicant has provided and been truthful and honest mm-hmm. in their application process. Right. Um, so you have to, like, lay bare everything. Yeah, so they're doing that for you. They're doing that on for, for you during that time frame. Right, right, and, and then... And then and then you go in, you have uh, a panel interview oh. where they, where they ask, you know, you get the, like the boss of the office and two other senior agents and they pepper you for like, I don't know, a couple hours with nice. questions and you okay. have to be able to, you know, adapt and answer the questions truthfully, and honestly, and, and be well prepared in your, in your yeah. answers. But you don't know like what they're going to ask at that point. Yeah. Um, once you get, and then all this is scored against other people. So, uh, you, you know, you not only do you have to do well, you have to do better than the other guy got or it. the other gal. And so you get, you get moved on to the next part. Right. And so they're like, all right, they, they get this initial pool of applicants and they go, okay, these are all a bunch of shit birds and these guys are okay, but these are the guys and, and women, these are the ones we want Let's move them to the next. Then they do the panel interview and they go, all right, well, this one was okay, but eh, out better qualified right. applicant you get that letter it's called a bqa yeah. you get a letter it's called better qualified applicant like yeah we thank you for applying but we found better qualified applicants oh that's brutal next year. yeah it's tough it's a very it's a form letter yeah so once you get past that they go okay you're good enough the boss of the secret service field office who has interviewed you has signed off and said you are qualified but now you have to do your polygraph mm-hmm. now you come into the polygraph and at, th- at that point um my polygraph, I think, was like eight hours long. Is this lifestyle poly? Like, what's that? Lifestyle poly, so the long one. Everything, dude. 
It's a long one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I lost about five pounds of water weight during <laughs> that one. They asked yeah. some fucking crazy questions. Um, yeah, that's they put you, they put you through the, I mean, you know, they put you through the ringer. They ask some crazy off the wall stuff. Uh, you just have to be truthful and honest. Some guys actually get called back, you know, like, Hey, you know, you were iffy on this. We're going to call you back and re-interview you and a polygraph. And the, the one thing I, I discovered is polygraphers are some of the best interrogators and some of the best interviewers you will ever find anywhere Yeah, because they don't need the machine to, to determine whether you're lying or not. They just yeah. have a, an I, amazing I ability. talk about it at the beginning of uh fourth novel devil's hand, yeah. but uh, I had to do that, uh, the lifestyle poly and, uh, yeah, sit in that chair. <laughs> so I get to relive that very uncomfortable room to be yeah. in. So I put that, Dude, in, I the, hated it. Put that I, in the fourth novel. Uh, so you do that and you pass, they, yeah, you pass and then they go, we have a class for you. Uh, and you're going to go down to the federal law enforcement training center, which is in Glencoe, nice. Georgia. Yeah. And you're going to do, um, criminal investigator. First you go to secret service and they make you do like a two week introductory course where okay. it's shooting and running and you get, get is that down there too, or is that somewhere? No, that's in, that's in Beltsville, Maryland, where the okay. secret service has their actually academy. Okay. Um, and then you do like two weeks of there and then they send you down to Glencoe, Georgia with 24 other agents, um, secret service agents. And then you get into what's called a criminal enforce criminal investigator training program okay. class. Um, and you spend, I think it's five months, six yeah. months. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't remember what it is. It might, it might be five months uh, where you and all the other, what are called 1811s. So the federal government de mm. designates criminal investigators on, across the board as 1811s. Um, so you'll be there. Like my class was married up with diplomatic security, uh, state department, basically equivalent secret service agents. Okay. Um, so we were married up with them and you go through that training. You have to, you have to pass all that stuff. It's, 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 you, you know, um, you do the legal stuff, you do the tactics stuff, you do the shooting stuff. You're driving, they have that driving course down there, right? The driving course is pretty cool, but the real driving, the really cool driving course is in, in Secret Service in Belleville, yeah, nice. Maryland. Uh, so once you graduate from that, then you come back. Are you living, uh, there? are you in barracks there at the time? You're like up at yeah, five in the morning and like, yeah, you know. Dude, it's so... If you're married, do you live? Military. If you're married, I mean, do you live off? Uh, can you live off post, or is dude, everybody's dude. in everybody's in barracks? Everybody's yep. at Flitz, at that federal law enforcement training center there, yep. um, and you're getting up every morning doing your PT and yep. then going up to your classes and doing your yep. driving or your shooting or your testing or whatever it might be. Yeah, uh, uh, full, full day. Uh, when I got down there, they had built what we called the Hilton. At one point, I would I didn't get to go into it, but it was like a regular hotel style building. Nice. I was in the crappy barracks one. Yeah. Uh, my wife, who's a secret service agent, we were in the class together. She ended up being in the Hilton. Uh, uh, and I was, you know, we were, I was like, wow, you have a fucking hotel room? I'm like, <laughs> what is this shit? Uh -huh. like, this is, this is yeah. crazy. But anyway, so you, you graduate from that. They send you back to your field office for a little bit to do some paperwork. And then they send you. So to, you already have a field office you're going to be assigned yeah, to so already? You automatically, you already know in this secret service, at least you already know which field office you're going to. And I was going to the Newark, New Jersey field office. Oh, okay. So they right kept back. me local. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of cool. Uh, and so I ended up going to uh, Beltsville, Maryland, where they put you through secret service training. Very specific. Okay. They build upon some of the stuff you learned down in Fletsy, right. but then they, but then they, uh, they teach you. Like graduate What school. you're going to need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Graduate school. Yeah. With, with some doctorate stuff in there. All right. I like it. How long is that? And I think it's another five months. Dang. Yeah, it's it's pretty long. That's awesome. Um, 
But they're doing case studies also. Are they bringing in people like other, obviously, Secret Service agents who have been in there for 20, 30 years, bringing like guest speakers in to talk about different incidents and run you through things and that sort of a deal? Everything. So so you do get a little bit, and it may have changed, but you do get a little bit of death by PowerPoint. Yeah. Uh, But then, but then, you know, then you start strapping on stuff, you know, you know, your weapons and whatnot, and you, and you start doing a lot of scenario based, um, real world type stuff. Like, like shit's blowing up, you're getting shot. Like it, they do, they do some really cool training. Uh, and then once you get past that, you, uh, and you end up going to your field office and you do, you start what's called phase one, phase one of a secret service career is you're doing your, your criminal investigations. Uh, huh you're anything to do with money. So the, the secret service. So it still took the treasury stuff, even though you're not now under the treasury, yep. you're, you're still doing that mission. Still, and still providing protection, by the way, to the secretary of the treasury. Okay. Anyway, so you, you, you do all your, you know, your counterfeit, counterfeit money, your, your credit card fraud, um, anything to do with money. Wow. Secret service is investigating that. But at the same time, cause it's a dual mission agency, you're doing your, your investing, your criminal investigations, but you're also doing, your executive protection stuff the at the same president, time, vice president, the like, exact same time. So you're in a field office, let's say, and are you, are like co-located near FBI field offices? Are there kind of like that sort of a thing? Like you're all the cities that would have an FBI field office yep. also have you guys yep. to, to kind of work together on things maybe now and again. Uh, and then if the president's Sometimes. coming through, <laughs> if the president's coming through, then you augment from that field office. Is that how it works? Yeah. So they'll pull, so they'll have each field office will, you generally depend on the size, will have a protection squad mm. and those the individuals who don't do any of the criminal investigations they're strictly there to help with okay. lead advances okay. uh, or site advances for protectees who are coming into district got it president vice president mm-hmm. or any or a head of state you know foreign head of state comes yeah. into the country secret services lead point on providing protection to those does ds does diplomatic security service still do that so diplomatic so diplomatic security we would work a lot with and, and when hillary clinton was uh, secretary of state we worked a ton with her because she still wanted Secret Service protection when oh, she came back into she the United both. States. Yeah, yeah. But when she was overseas, she wanted DSS. Huh. So DSS agents would be um, like the foreign minister as mm. opposed to the actual head of state. Okay. So we we would, you know, sometimes they would travel together and we would have dual motorcades and whatnot. Uh, a lot of my friends were DSS agents. Okay. Um, so, you, yeah, so you're, you're doing that. In fact, sometimes it gets... You, the bread and butter and the priority is always the executive protection yeah. when you're a secret service agent. And sometimes that, that gets in the way of your criminal investigations. And I had an instance where I was working a criminal investigation. It started off as, as check fraud and postage fraud, go figure, and, and turned into child possession of child pornography oh. and, and, and distribution of child pornography. Oh. It's a crazy case. And I was working with locals on that. So like the sheriff's department and we were getting search warrants but I got pulled for President Bush protective detail at the time, and I was I was traveling, and then the United Nations General Assembly was going on, which is um, something that happens oh, every man. September. So it backs up City. your other investigations. Now you have somebody it's out completely there. Completely backs it up, oh, right? Man. And so it took three months for me at one point to, get to, back to I that. had I I had actually gotten evidence, and it took three months from the time that I secured the evidence through through consent from a uh, from a, an individual to actually get into search warrant. And then that came up in court. This case ended up going to, to a trial. Oh, jeez. That came up in court where the judge was like, any other circumstance, we would throw this the fuck out. Because it's too long. But, be, but be, yeah, because it's too too long, right? And But they're like, but because of the the necessity and, you know, what Agent Albanese is doing for executive protection for the president, it's a mitigating circumstance. And so we'll let it go. But it, 
bar that, there was, you know, this case is done and over with. Wow. So we, it, yeah, it got in the waves. It, and in a way, it's it's frustrating, but at the same time, it, it's refreshing because you could burn out doing one or the other. If you're just doing straight investigations, yeah, you do that for 20 years, that'll burn you out. Okay, so you can, so you, you can you, kind of move around a little. Yeah, bit. but if you mix in some of that executive pr- protection, that high yeah. profile stuff, right, kind of kind of helps out. Man, that is wild. And some of those. Uh, the uh, the currency stuff or whatever. What's uh, what stands out to you as far as uh, doing that kind of work? Is it uh, like are people actually printing on a printer or are there, uh, China, or other foreign governments yes. kind of flooding our markets with fake yes. stuff that looks really real? Is it coming through yes. Mexico? Is it coming through cargo containers? Like what is that? Or the credit card stuff? Is it like just? I mean, gosh, it All sounds the like there is so many better ways to you know, make a dollar than like scam. Uh, well, stuff. I, w- I will tell you that there was a, but there's a foreign, foreign country that was, um, producing super notes and that were, what's a super note? That, like the really super note is, it, yeah, it, even a, even a trained eye wouldn't be able to, to determine that it was counterfeit. Like it is yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we have foreign adversaries who who would who well, would create our own. Yeah, it seems money. like a normal thing to do. Like create our own money, and then so so not only do you have that, like you have a large pool of counterfeit money that looks not bad. Ninety nine point nine 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 percent as as good as ours. Yeah, and then you have like gangs I, trying to make it, like monopoly like, money. No, well, you get some of that, but like uh, offset printing, like in Colombia, like the Colombian notes. Like, and, and they're, they're good and they'll pass shopkeepers and whatnot, but you know, oh, if you give foreign me a loop and look at it, no, no real American. So they're okay. printing the stuff they're printing in Colombia and we're sh- not shipping containers okay. and, yeah. you know, and send it up here to the United States. Um, <sighs> there are, and then there was a whole bunch at one point where the uh, secret service was getting crushed. And that's with, to use, it, sorry, that's to use not to devalue the dollar. No. Yeah. That's just to use. Yeah. yeah you're just, yeah. They're just buying shit with it. Yeah. Um, sorry. but at some point with the uh, laser printers and, and, and just regular printing and people are scanning money and they're just printing it off. And uh, we were getting crushed in the early 2000s. So many people with, trying it. Yeah, just everyone just taking a printer and just printing off sheets of money. And oh. you know, you have some stupid kid at Dunkin' Donuts or McDonald's going, yeah, here's five bucks. And they would yeah. take it and then they'd be like, no, this is counterfeit, you dumbass. Yeah, I mean, we were getting <laughs> crushed with that. Oh, that's so brutal. Yeah. So so the Secret Service with, with some help at, you know, try to find some, some way to mitigate that and, yeah. and prevent that from happening. And I think they've done a pretty good job of doing that. But at the same time, you still have foreign actors who, who print our money. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. You know, if I was a adversary, you know, that's one of the things that I would be doing to destabilize and, oh yeah, you know, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Ugh. Crazy, crazy. So, how long do you do that? Do you port? Do you do it? At, do you move field offices? Uh, do you do you stay New Jersey, or how, how does it? What goes on uh, the rest of the your time in in the Secret Service? Actually, so, before I get to that, when you're yeah, in Maryland um, and you're doing the death by PowerPoint, do they bring in like uh, was it Clint Hill? Does he come in and talk to you guys? Or Dude, like, I would love to have Clint Hill come in, yeah. but uh, no, we did not get to talk to him. They would bring in. Um, they would bring in people who had done some really cool stuff though. Used, yeah. Yeah, they still will do the PowerPoint. Um, like, do they talk about who, JFK assassination? Do they talk about yep, that? Yep. Is that a case we, study? 
Yeah, we would do we would do case studies and, and how and how and what the Secret Service did to then improve upon. Yeah, it's always it's always improving because the only Fair time enough. the Secret Service is ever in the news is when sh- bad shit happens. Right, right. Um, and so we never want bad shit to happen. And yeah. and so they're always building upon and making things more redundant and yeah. building out and pushing out um, and making sure that people can't get close. You know, you learn from uh, JFK. You learn from from Reagan. Right. You, we 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 learn from. Uh, foreign countries, you know, tax that happen on principles as well. So it's always a learning process. But yeah, they would bring in, they would bring in people from our, the Secret Service has specialized units. They would bring those folks in as well uh, to then give agents a glimpse into what, like, like the bigger, the bigger picture, because you really don't know about this stuff until you actually get in. Like, I like saying uh, the secret, there are, there are secrets with the secret service, but if you're in the secret service, there are no secrets. Uh, like everybody needs to know what, right. what everybody else is doing in order for the security plan that they've put together for it to work properly. Yeah. What do they say? Um, what did they say about JFK assassination? And have you gone there and have you walked it? No, I haven't done that. That, 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 that actually would be pretty interesting to it do. Is. Um, is. I did it at Boucher Con. Boucher was there. And so I went there oh, yeah, with right. a bunch of other authors. We walked through it and did the whole did the whole thing. It was really interesting. Really, yeah, that's really pretty cool. cool. Yeah, I, I don't know if you if you noticed that the president will never ever drive in an open yeah. vehicle again. Yeah. And that was one of the lessons that they learned. Right, um, is that we cannot, we can't have, you know, his hair blowing through the wind like that's just not going to happen anymore. And so we're going to enclose him. And now you get um, what the media likes to call the beast, mm-hmm. right? The the presidential limo that's right. that's driving around town. And yeah. good luck. Good luck trying to get a shot through that thing. Oh man! And did uh, did Robert Kennedy have uh, Secret Service protection? He Robert did Kennedy? not because so and so we learned from that as well. It was one of the interesting things because he was a candidate at the time, right? Right at that point, the only one, the only people who were getting uh, protection were the president, the vice president. That changed because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so now it's um, candidates at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Well, the Secret Service, along with other people, come together and make a determination yeah. that individual should get protection. Mm-hmm. If you go back to 2000, uh, 2008, Barack Obama, um, he announces candidacy like two years before the election. It was something crazy. Oh, wow. And he immediately got a ton of threats, oh, immediately. Wow. And the Secret Service made a determination, along with the President of the United States, that he should get protection. And so what happens is the Secret Service starts winding up its candidate operations section, mm. CNOS, and they start pulling agents from the field offices, people who aren't, who aren't assigned protection stuff. So guys, guys and, and women who are doing um, strictly protection for the, the president, the vice president. So these are, they're pulling agents from the field offices to staff these roles. And they're giving basically almost presidential level protection yeah. To these candidates yeah. and it's specifically because of that that attack on, on bobby kennedy Jeez, what um and what, what how about the uh the reagan assassination attempt i mean that was yeah we have video of it obviously there's yeah. video of the other ones as well we talked about but um you know those, those photos those black and white photos of the guys that are that are out there like what uh, what lessons from from that one yeah, we don't have Uzis anymore. There's a lesson. No. <laughs> Those photos are classic which, 80s. Which, you know? which I would have loved. To, I know. Classic. You get to train with those. You do. You get yeah, to train with them. And that's they're, good. It's a cool weapon, man. I know. Like, it's so like, cool. No, no more Uzis. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things they learned is uh, offsetting the press. Um, and what, if you can notice, and, and arrival departures. Arrival departures in the executive protection are huge. Mm. And if you ever notice that arrival departures for the president, the vice president, sometimes you don't 
you don't know where they're arriving or yeah. departing unless it's a very hardened uh, location. And so we, we separate that from the public because um, you want some standoff. But if you notice, there were no agents. Um, there may have been a police officer or two with all that, that press, that gaggle of yeah. people there. And now now they those those press folk, they will get babysat. Yeah. And there will be Secret Service agents. Uh, you will see Secret Service agents, and then you won't see some Secret Service agents. Yep. Um, and that was another thing as well that they right. came. And so it's a it's a learning experience. Unfortunately, um, I mean, the Secret Service is always learning, but the times it learns a lot is is instances like that where yeah. the executive is is being attacked or right. shot or hurt and in some yeah. something like that. That's so crazy. Um, yeah, I put that. Somebody in the crowd uh, allude to it in my my last the end of my last book. Uh, one of the shots that takes somebody out is from someone in the crowd, yeah. um, who's a good guy. Um, but uh, so so you you go through all that. You're you're back at your field office. You're doing the currency stuff, and then ha what what happens from there? Do you go to these different field offices, or do you go right from there to like protecting uh, the main man, or how does it? What is that like? Yeah, you never just go uh, like once you get hired. You don't go to. Uh, PPD, the president's protective detail, the vice president's protective detail. That never happens. Like you have to go and and learn a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, you still you know a lot, but you got to learn a little bit. Yeah. So you do your criminal investigations, you do your uh, protection also, where you're standing post, you're doing site advances, lead advances. Um, my case, I started off in the Newark, New Jersey field office and transferred to the New York City field office. Okay. Where I got a ton more experience. Yeah. Where in New Jersey, I was doing a lot of criminal investigations. Not so much protection unless I was being pulled for like if President Bush was going to like Waco, Texas, or he was doing, you know, events in LA or, or wherever. But when I was in New York, because New York is, has the United Nations General Assembly, you get a lot of foreign heads of state. And as I said before, mm -hmm. the Secret Service provides protection for the heads of state. Mm -hmm. I was doing a ton of site advances, lead advances, motorcade advances for some really high level uh you know, leaders of the world, some mm -hmm. and some who are our enemies. And that was one interesting thing they never told me about when I got hired by the Secret Service. I, you know, I, I believe you cut me, I bleed red, white, and blue. And I will take, I would have taken a bullet for the president, regardless of who was in the office. Yeah. You know, the, the office of the president, I would have jumped in front of that bullet because Secret Service agents are glorified meat shields. But I would, I would have done that. I would lay down my life for, right. for, for the, for, for not yeah. only my, you know, the squad mates, but, but, but the president, but, but now they don't tell you Putin comes to visit. Yeah. Putin or I, I, uh, two years in a row, I protected Ahmed, Ak uh, Ahmed, what the hell is his name? Iranian, the Iranian president. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Dude, he's an enemy of the United States. Yeah. You know, it's clear, like state sponsor of terrorism, you know, I had to protect him and no one Man. ever said, Hey, you gotta, you gotta protect them and make sure he's safe Interesting. and make sure no one gets to him. You're like, wait a second, like, oh, shouldn't I be okay. doing the opposite in this situation? Yeah, <laughs> doesn't make any sense to me, but here I am making, you know, and wow. stressing over it, yeah. making sure that the guy is safe yeah. and protected and, and working, working with their, with their security apparatus as well. That comes into the, that's probably country. interesting. That's a, by the way, that's an interesting story. Just, just those visits when those types of folks are adversaries, Yeah. political, economic, militarily. Yeah come into the United States right. for the United Nations General Assembly. So anyway, so you do they're, that. Because they're collecting, obviously. Oh, uh, dude. You know, that, I mean, I mean, what, how, what, how nutty is that? That must be it's bizarre. crazy. And they have dip passports, right? Or something along those lines. Yep. 
Yep. Mm, that's Some crazy. of them do. Yeah. Some of them do. I just real quick story about that because I just think it's hilarious. So they have their air, their uh, Air Force One. Yeah. I don't know what they Air called Cobra. it. Right. You know, it's like a 747 coming. It's a big plane, right? So it's landed at JFK. And, we, you know, I was doing the motorcade events for, for, uh, for this visit. So I got this huge motorcade. I got a ton of assets. I'm like the logistics of getting from point A and JFK into downtown Manhattan, you know, I got more, I got motors, you got armored vehicles. Like it's crazy. I got air units. I got Harbor units. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of moving parts going on. So the plane lands, right. And it, it taxis over to a, a remote part of the airport yeah. and uh, they can't turn the engines off. And I never had seen this before. They literally cannot turn the engine off. Here's, you know, Jeez. this big plane yeah. is our adversary, right? He wants to do, you got TV cameras and shit there and they can't turn the damn engine off. So they actually had, there's a machine. I didn't know they had one of these things. You had this big turbine. Uh -huh. There's a machine that's located on the other side of the airport that they have to then bring all the way over and it like clamps on the turbine, just like manually, yeah. like turn it off it. from the outside. Yeah. And then, and then they can open the door and everybody can come walking out. But that was wow. like 45 minutes. I was like, oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> that's wild. Jeez. Yeah. So Flip the switch, talk them through. That's wild. I, dude, like, I'm like, oh my God, can you imagine if this was, you know, the president of the United States yeah. going overseas to like, uh, it would never happen, like Tehran, right? Uh, and it lands and, oh, we can't turn the engines off. Yeah. Can you bring over a machine bring that over stops the it? <laughs> that's <laughs> idiots. That's wild. Anyway. Um, so you, yeah, you do. So you do your criminal slash protection stuff your phase one and then your phase two um, DC calls and they go, you've had six, seven, eight years. Yeah. I don't know what it is now, but it's generally right around that time of doing your criminal investigation. And right. now it's time we need bodies down in Washington, DC and the president's or the vice president's detail. Nice. And we need 10 agents for POTUS and we need 10 agents for VP and these 10 and these 10 and wow. go. Okay. And then they send you down and you get, Bunch more training before you actually go to the details. Okay, and then you, uh, and then you start, and then you're on strictly solely. That's all you do. You're not doing any criminal investigations yeah. anymore. You're doing executive protection. No, that's kidding. it. And so, where did you go? Did you go to VP or, or president? Yeah, I went to V. I went to VP. So when I when I when I got sent down there, it was Biden. Uh, Biden was the VP at the time, so I was on his protective detail, no, and so I traveled for three years with him. Uh, before I ended up leaving the Secret Service, going everywhere. It was like never home. Yeah. And the guy traveled all the time, every weekend, uh, two times a week, uh, because he was he was out there shaking hands and going on vacations and, you know, doing what politicians do. Um, and so, w w but once you're done with that, you can, and, and there are within There's that, so many things I'd are, like to ask you right now, but I, I know, know I can't because I, I know you can't answer. So we're just going to continue on. We can talk off the record, but so- <laughs> But within, but within that, you're not just you're not just the um, the agent who's standing uh, next to the protecting, next mm -hmm. to the vice president, next to the president. So you see those those people, and it's a gaggle of of agents and mm -hmm. staffers and whatnot. But as agents, you, you don't just do that. There are other units within, and some units we don't talk about because we don't you know want that stuff out in public. Um, but there are specialized stuff that you can, you can get to do. Right. And so you spend some time doing the actual um, body work, like, you know, okay. the, the bodyguard work. Yeah. But there's a lot, lot more behind the scenes that the public do not see that goes into protecting 
the president, the vice president. I'm sure they're probably a lot more, more quote unquote important than, uh, yes. or, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. So not important. That's the wrong it, word, but no, 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 uh, but, you know but, I mean? but, but it is uh, security, but it is, and, and, it, and it's robust, mm. but, but Jack, if, if the, if the, if the men and women who are standing around the principal, the protectee, the vice president, the president have to react to something, the secret services, whether, whether the mm. president gets hurt or the vice president gets hurt, the secret service has failed, mm. has completely failed. Yeah. Because it should never get to that point. Weapons should never come into an event. Known known individuals who have a grudge or who are crazy or whatnot uh, should never be able to get into an event. They should never, there, there's layers of security. And so right. one layer could break down, two layers could break down, three layers could break down. Mm. But if that happens, that's a complete failure. Yeah. And there are so many units and individuals and agents and mechanisms to prevent that from happening, because we've learned from the past, the Secret right. Service has learned from the past, that it, that that if the guys are reacting and they're pulling people off the stage, like it's a failure. Like yeah. that is a failure. Yeah. If the counter assault team uh, uh, exits their vehicle, oh my gosh, then oh, it's, I, uh, yeah, I've had that happen overseas, not really? on the not here, but wow. <clears throat> yeah, if that happens, dude, that's a bad day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that, you don't want that to happen if you're if you're. If you're a guy, I, I won't I won't talk about it. But if like if some people have to like come out of role and whatnot, uh, that's a bad day. If you're protective, if yeah. your protective intelligence folks are are you know blaring on the radio because so and so's you know ten feet arms length you know from from your principal, that's you know you someone fucked up. Yeah, oh, man, it's so wild. It seems stressful. Like, you're does it become normal on. or is it always, is it always, are you, it's like, you, like you said, you're always switched on. Always switched um, on. Does that become normal being switched on like that? And is it, is it, uh, is it, do you have to guard against becoming completely paranoid versus being mm. just situationally aware or what is that line? Do you talk about it? Do you think about it? Um, what's that like? All of the above, dude. Yeah. Uh, it, if you, I'm like paranoid generally, like that's just <laughs> my personality, uh -huh. right? Uh, you make a you make a pretty good agent because you're just like no 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 what if this happened you know yeah. like not crazy paranoid but like paranoid that you know some shit can go on but your situational awareness when you're doing executive protect and you've done some mm. you're oh, you have to be switched on so like the hundred mile motorcade from in in Iowa where it's just cornfields you want to zone out because it's just cornfields zipping by the motorcade but guess what you can't dude yeah. you got to be switched on because there could be shit in there you don't know about. Um, yeah, it's, it's stressful. And I will tell you from when I left the secret service, I was doing my protection time. And uh -huh. so I felt like I was always switched on, but the interesting thing is I didn't feel like I was always switched on but you were. until I left mm. and I, I took a different position within the government. Wasn't as high stress. Wasn't, you know, wasn't doing anything crazy. Yeah. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. I was having like anxiety attacks, yeah. like panic attacks. Like I should be doing something like, why, why am I just sitting here? Like right. some, I should be doing something. And then that's when I realized like, dude, I was always switched. Like, that's not normal yeah. <laughs> to always be like that. No. And the burnout, the burnout yeah. could be, could be definitely, definitely happens and is real. Yeah. I mean, hypervigilance, it's this, uh, we talk about it in the, in the SEAL teams now or the military in general. Now I would think, um, cause you're downrange. And even though, you're quote unquote on a fob and 
yeah. safer, I guess. But even yep. when you're sleeping, especially if you're like in a, on vampire hours and you're working during the night and sleeping during the day, in the back of your not mind, you know that someone could lob a mortar over the wall. And yeah, there's some things there that kind of prevent yeah. that, but not all the time. And uh, depending on the base also. Uh, yeah. And you could just be kind of vaporized or blown up, you know, just sitting there. Um, uh, and you have that in your head, even when you're sleeping, even if you don't know it. So they found that uh, over the years too, that that uh, even though, okay, we're off mission, we did our debrief, we did our AAR, okay, now it's time to get some rest. You're not really getting rest because in the back of your mind, you know there could be a uh, green and blue attack, there could be a mortar launch, there could be an RPG launch, there could be a full-on assault, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, something can happen in there. Uh, and it's in the back of your mind, even though you don't know it. And that's causing mm-hmm. some, you know, some issues when guys get home and they can't flip that switch, they can't turn it off. And uh, you know, they get ambient for sleep, ambient for sleep on the flight back, yeah. and then they keep on that uh, when they get home to try to get back yep. on a good cycle. And then you start drinking a little bit, have some marital yep. problems in there, you know, whatever it, it might be. Um, and it's not, uh, and add some TBI. Maybe you had, even if it's, you didn't get blown up, maybe the car in front of you did, or maybe you're right there too close right. to a breach, or maybe you're on an internal breach that rocks you, or you're just shooting and getting that D, 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 or you're next to the A-dub that's doing the same thing, or you're underneath the 50, your brain's rattled around at the same time. And then maybe you lose a friend or whatever else. Blame yourself. Like all those things cause such this crazy caustic cocktail, but it's, but the point being, the hypervigilance part of it. Like you're hypervigilant, you're on, uh, this person is your responsibility. And now when you're not, you're still on. You always have to figure that out. You have to like, when you transition out and and are you talking about transitioning out to what you do, what you're doing now? Is that where you, you. Yeah. Yeah. So transitioning out out of the secret service into a different position where you're, I'm not doing any of that stuff. And, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it, it, uh, I was trying to explain to my, my wife, who's an agent. And I was Mm -hmm. like, it's like going a thousand miles an hour to walking like that. Mm. And it's a, it, it was jolting. It took me about six, seven, eight months to actually f- like come back from it. Okay. Like, and just be like, okay, I can take a deep breath. I'm like, wow. I don't need to always be looking at every single car, looking right. at everyone. I still do it, but looking at hands, looking at waist, hands. looking at ankles, yeah. look, looking inside cars, looking at, looking at whether the back tires are too low because it could be weighted down. I, I mean, you know, just, yeah. just things that, to me, like I was always doing constantly, regardless. Yeah. Uh, I still do it today, obviously, yeah. but but not to the same degree. And and then throw into that, the Secret Service one has manpower issues, mm. serious manpower issues. They have a morale issue, mm. and then they have rotating shift issues. Mm. Where you're talking about the vampire hours. Just imagine doing all that on two week rotations for six years, yeah. for seven years. Like yeah. it never turns off for the, for that amount of time. And then at certain times it gets even amped up higher because you have an election and the president, the vice president are out doing five city stops a day or two city stops a day. That's pretty I, I can tell you instances where I was on not so much Biden's detail, but uh, in the 08 campaign, I was on Sarah Palin's protective detail. And I remember waking up several times in a hotel room, not knowing where I was, I was in a hotel room. I wasn't like in a right. fob, right? You know, I was like, yeah, yeah. but in a hotel room in the United States, oh, yeah. but I didn't know where the fuck I was. Yeah. And I had to look at the phone and be like, oh, yeah. All right. St. Paul, Minnesota, or like Des Moines, Iowa. Like, how the fuck did we get here? Or, you know, I'm in, you know, uh, yeah. Colorado. Like, what? I totally get it. 
I told her, that's why I'm so forgiving. I felt like that on this last book tour, by the way, David Brown, if you're listening, I felt that way. I'm like, okay, where am I? I signed books till one in the morning and now I'm up for a 5.30 flight a couple hours later, but I had to get back to my hotel, you know, grab something because I didn't have dinner. So I'm going to the little snack machine uh, and I wake up like, hey, where am I? Okay. Denver. Okay. Yep. Okay. Is there a car? Okay. Like all that stuff. Um, <laughs> oh, so I totally get what you're talking about. And I'm, I've always been fairly forgiving, um, of candidates when they're like, uh, you know, Hey, Kansas city, but they're, yeah. you know, in Miami, they're in Phoenix, no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, cause you get it. Cause that's like, I mean, cause they're kind of on a cycle like that too. And they're on in front of a camera and they're talking yep. and they have talking points and you know, they're tired too. And so I'm always like, you know, I kind of, and, and they get blasted, you know, what an idiot. They don't know where they are, but at the same time, I'm like, eh. You know, yeah, dude. I, kinda, I, 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 could, I could have been guilty of that too. Yeah. Like, dude, what's he? I'm like, I don't know. I don't right. care. So like, I try to be, you know, try, forgiveness is a powerful thing, you know, uh, personally <laughs> and just when you're looking at things from the outside. But, uh, oh man, that is, that is wild. Um, but, you, but you get some, you get to meet some amazing people. I got to work with, so the Navy SEALs get the best of the best, right? And the Secret Service, they hire the best of the best, right? They make sure that they weed out some shit birds get through obviously and any, in any, any, any organization, but, but, but you weed those out and you end up working with the best men and women that this country really has off people who are willing to put everything on the line. Mm-hmm. You were talking about like marital issues, like people who are willing to push aside the, the, their children and their, and their wives and their personal lives to get the mission done. Um, and we need individuals like that. Otherwise this country just doesn't exist. Yeah, you talk about it in Drone Kings. It's in the yeah. it's in the story. It's in the it's in the books. Uh, did you notice in the terminal list in episode three, right before I get whacked, um, when he jumps, he's in that <laughs> restaurant, jumps over that little railing, and then he's he pulls out his pistol and he's he's moving. And uh, I was walking through that with with Chris, and I was like, okay, you got to look up. Like no one's gonna like most of these shows. Like no. It, it, People will notice, like people that know what they're doing will like yeah. look up. If you have experience in Iraq and Afghanistan and you're coming out, like, oh yeah, you're looking up. And uh, you, yeah, so uh, there's that. And then I'm like, you can't pass this car, you know, without looking in. You can't oh just look by. You have to look. No. And so we ca- we captured that on film. We got we have him looking up. If you'll notice when he jumps over that railing before our little gunfight, yep, yep, yep. Uh, he's going through that that alley and he's looking up. And Katie's behind him. You know, just trying to catch up, figure out what's going on. But uh, but he looks up. You know, he's looking at the he's up, and then he's looking as he passes the cars. He's looking in the windows uh, as he gets to the Land Cruiser and then pulls it's, out. It's it's 360 uh, when when you're doing stuff like that. Um, but with the secret, like it's 360, like, and that's why the secret service deploys counter snipers. Yeah. You know, we have guys up on the roof because threats yeah. come from everywhere. Um, and walking by, I remember specifically having a scenario when I was going through the secret service Academy, walking by a car. And if I had looked in, I wouldn't have seen the shooter laying down in, in, in the back seat who would have popped up and got me in the back or my mm-hmm. partner in the back. If I had noticed it, yeah, like those, you know, those things are, yeah. those are real things. They are. No, Dude, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. So that's what you bring that realism. And then we were talking about that before about having, uh, the author who has a ton of, you know, real world experience, bringing that into, into the show, into the script. And you're able to provide that, that realism. And it's just those, yeah. all those little things. It may not seem like a lot in that one scene, but all those little things just add up yeah. and give it all, give the entire 
the entire series authenticity. Yeah. And I was like, I couldn't be there every day. If I lived in LA, I would have been on set every day. Um, but, uh, but I was there. I wanted to say thank you to every director because we had multiple directors. So I yeah. wanted to be able to shake their hands and thank them. Um, but spend a week on set at a time. And, um, but yeah, the little things like that, you know, I wanted the person like you with a background to sit on the couch and grab a drink and be looking and be like, ah, oh, no way. Looked in the car. Awesome. Right. He looked up, you know, looked, <laughs> yeah, looked up, up for snipers. Always. Um, Always. so yeah, especially this guy is a sniper. James Reese is a sniper. So he's going to be, you know, looking out for people like him. Um, so, uh, I've, I love those little things in there. I've really wanted to make sure that we got those little things for people like you, people who've been downrange over the last 20 years, those little things are for them. You know, I thought that was really important, uh, as we, as we filmed this thing. Um, but for you guys also, do you study, uh, recruitment by foreign adversaries, like that sort of a thing, like when you're yeah. on the road, like, and what, uh, were you approached or do, are there stories of agents being approached and, and that sort of a thing? Like how common, I guess, is that sort of a thing or how, how, yeah, maybe how common a, was it during the cold war even versus today? Yeah. So the, there's a lot of, uh, it was built up probably within the last 20 plus years, more so in the last 20 years, the protective intelligence. And mm -hmm. when, when we would go overseas, that protective intelligence briefing that you would get, the honeypot stuff that would happen. <laughs> yeah. So it, that's and, a real thing. It, yeah, no, it's completely a real thing. And, yeah. we, and, and we would have, we would have scenarios where, you know, we would, we would, we would do that stuff. Right. And then they would show case scenarios where like, you know, this is, this is how, this is how approached and this is how, yeah. you know, but all those contacts, and it, I can't say it's never happened because I don't know yeah. uh, whether it's been, it's happened, but been caught before anything compromising has happened, right. you know. Um, but, but yeah, no, we, we study those. We're warned about those. We talk about those often. A um, lot, lot, of, lot of single Secret Service agents like to um, use the badge to pick up women, I guess. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> uh, because... Uh, what was the what was the one briefing we had one briefing like you know you guys may think you're special because you're special agents and you know you're secret service agents um and you think you're good looking but you're not and so if, like if the the pretty redhead <laughs> with the green eyes comes walking over right. to you and is so interested into everything you do and you're gonna take her back to your this room girl whatnot, really likes me she's not into <laughs> you buddy uh -huh. she's into what you have what you know what may be around your room and she's gathering intel on you mm -hmm. and the agency and so don't be that guy right right FIS, Foreign Intelligence Service. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. That's, that's mm. wild, man. Wild. And so when you see a Secret Service movie then, um, and uh, there, there's, I guess there's quite a, quite a few. Uh, there are. The Gerard Butler ones, which I love watching. I think those are, those yeah. are so much. Yeah, actually, the last one was really cool. I think they're all cool. Action Yeah. I love those. They did, they did a great job with those, uh, I thought. Um, in Line of Fire, of course, you yeah, know, classic. Uh, I remember watching that in the theater back in the day. Um, you know, those things. When you see those, do you enjoy them? Or do you sit down? Or are you picking things out? Are you trying not to? Or what's, I try uh, not to. Yeah. I try not to. I mean, some of them get close. All of them get it wrong. Yeah. Uh, obviously. Um, the one, I think the one that got it close was the Kiefer Sutherland one with, uh, um, Michael Douglas. Oh yeah. Sent I saw I that one. What was Sentinel. that? Yeah, Sentinel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that yeah. one got kind of close. Okay. Um, I gotta watch that got one again. Kinda, it, it was, it was, it was pretty good. Uh, it got, it got kind of close. Um, there were a couple things where, and I do pick out the the thing I have my wife, she's, you know, she's picking it she's up. She's a, a female secret service agent. Right. And in, in one of the, I think Ivana Longoria, Eva Longoria was, was in that movie. And I remember she was doing something and she was like in heels and I'm like, 
No, that's just never happening. Not There's no, you will never see a Secret Service agent in heels. I'm like, that's just yeah. stupid. Uh, but she looked good. So, you know, it worked. Uh, but there was one at the very end where uh, Michael Douglas, he's leaving the job. Like he's retired, he's done, he's got his box and he's walking away and the job goes on. Like, thank you for your service, your 20 plus years, handshake, here's your plaque. Thank you. There's the door. We're busy. Yeah, they have a mission to do. And I was just like, dude, that's the fucking job. Yep. Like, that's crazy. Same thing in the SEAL teams. You're, they have a mission to do. Um, and that's, I think it was helpful for us to make a physical and psychological break with the teams by moving from Coronado, California and moving to a new spot. Uh, right. Because they have a mission to do. The same guys you were just with, shoulder to shoulder, uh, essentially in the trenches, uh, best friends with, teammates, trusting one another. Guess what? They have to train and prepare for war and go if called. And, uh, you know, they that's their focus. And uh, yeah. I get it. You know, I always understood that. Um, yeah. It's time to flip the page and and move on and let them do the job. Um, but same but thing in all, I, a lot of these a lot of these uh, professions. I, I do like the movies and and I appreciate them. I also appreciate the um, um, the idea that the Secret Service agents like Gerard Butler are all ass kickers. Yeah, like, we all know how to fight. We I like that shoot. last one, man. I, that was don't fuck sweet. with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, your compound might have all those claymores strung out like his dad does. Remember that? That was rad. That Dude, was awesome. th- so, so you just, you like entertainment wise, I'm like it's fucking awesome, but uh, <laughs> my, I don't have any claim. <laughs> like it's fucking Speak crazy. for yourself. Just kidding. God just bless kidding. you. Let God, I, no, listen, just kidding. No, Everyone who's Virginia. listening right now, I don't really have them <laughs> strung all over the property. Dude, just no, in case. You, I, I couldn't have Northern Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was cool. That was, I mean, hey, those are, uh, those are I love it cool though. films. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Probably good for recruitment. You know, probably good for, for recruitment. Well, uh, uh, oh, that, that was one thing I thought we would talk about recruitment and um, the manpower shortage. Mm. Who was I talking? I was just talking recently. So they passed that bill, right? And everyone's clamoring about this 87,000 new IRS agents. Armed uh, IRS those, agents. Armed. Uh, so some are support. Do you see some of that some training videos? Those training videos look legit. Look legit. It's hardcore. It's, listen, it's tough doing tax returns. <laughs> But that here's was, the thing. I don't know how that video got out. I mean, that was... I, they shouldn't I just, do any of that I'm going to stop talking about it right now. I just can't. <laughs> but here's the thing, Jack. 87,000, right? They're going to hire 87,000. Mm-hmm. The Secret Service, the FBI, the Border Patrol, the DEA, Department of Justice, like all of these other agencies, ICE, are trying to hire people, right? And they have these, these goals to meet. The military mm-hmm. has the same goal, right? Mm-hmm. They have quotas they have to reach. The Secret Service is running so far below any of their any of their recruitment goals. Mm-hmm. On top of that, they have a manpower shortage. Like if I remember how many how many agents were in particular offices, and I could tell you numbers, it's they are far short from when I was an agent. Wow. Like the numbers if, through attrition, through through people retiring, people like myself going to a different agency, uh-huh. or or just. Just you know, leaving the job altogether and going to private sector, and then those 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 spots aren't backfilled because there's just not enough people, uh-huh. not enough applicants. So all those all those agencies are vying for the same group of people, like uh, the same pipe. Well, same let's hope they're not vying for some of the people I saw in those videos. Like, I think the the Secret Service would be better served not to have hired any well, of those people I saw out, in the they videos. They would weed out those. They yeah. would weed out those people. Yeah. But it, they're, there's no way. My, my point is, there's no way that they're gonna find 87. Well, that's not true. Qualified applicants. There's no way they will find 87,000 qualified uh-huh. applicants 
to fill those positions when yeah. every other agency is looking. So they may get the dregs and then that's Well, I see a comedy. I see a comedy uh, in those 87,000 armed IRS agents in those videos. That's like a, there is some gold there for, for Hollywood to, to go in and, <laughs> you know, back to kind of like a, like a nod to the spies like us days, you oh, know, my, that sort of yeah, thing, stripes, though. you know, <laughs> and then make a modern one like that with this IRS, you know, these guys, anyway, there's something there for, uh, for screenwriters that are, that are listening, but, uh, yeah. but that's no, yeah, no, but that's tough. That's because you want people to join, especially you do. the secret service for the right reasons. You want them there yeah. for the right reasons. Uh, that incentive is obviously to serve and to protect, um, same thing in the military. It's not like, well, let's offer a bonus because for a while we started offering, I think you get uh, not when I did it, but you got like $10,000 if you went, made it through hell week or something, something like that, regardless, some sort of a financial incentive. Um, and that we realize that that's not the right incentive. Uh, we shouldn't have even had to realize that had it, we shouldn't have even had to test that out. It seems fairly obvious, um, but you can treat people better, obviously, um, right. but, uh, and give them opportunity, obviously give them great training, obviously, um, those sorts of sorts of things. Um, but, uh, but the financial piece, uh, it didn't work out for us, but point being, you want people to join for the right reason, for the right reason. Yeah. yeah. But, but, and then you, ha you have to keep, you have to keep the, uh, the, fo so secret service spends a lot of money training. Mm-hmm training their folks. They get some of the, not yeah. some of, but they get the best training that the government can provide. Um, and they bring people who are experts in like snipers and whatnot. Yeah. We bring all those folks in to train secret service agents on how to do it right. right. You know, the best, best, best practices. Mm -hmm. um, where am I going with this? But manpower. Uh, yeah. So manpower there, there's, there's just, there's just, there's just not enough secret service agents uh, to, to do the job. Yeah. Um, and, and here's the other, the other crazy thing is, is you want to, oh, here's what I was going. You want to retain those individuals and compensation is a part of it because you're an employee, you're a federal government employee. So a secret service agent makes the same amount of money as an IRS agent. Oh, the same amount see, that's as brutal. FBI, you gotta as have an FBI that. agent. Yeah. But here's the, here's the other thing. The same amount as an OIG office of inspector general, uh, of the small business administration. Uh, or the OIG of the Veterans Administration, or the OIG. So they they all have secret. They all have special agents within those agencies who uh, conduct fraud investigations. Yeah, procurement fraud investigations. So 1811s. you're working way harder for the same amount. Of Not only like way them. harder, but your your job description. And I had a hard time getting supplemental life insurance because of this. Your job description is, and I, and I mentioned it briefly, is you're a glorified meat shield. Yeah, like you're there. You're a buffer of flesh. Right, that is your job to slow down an attack to allow the president, the vice president to get out of town. Yeah. That's your job. So you're paying, you're paying the secret service agent the same amount as the IRS agent. Right. Like seriously. Yeah. Like, and there, and it's, it's codified. Like you can't, like, I think the, the most a secret service agent or any federal 1811 criminal investigator can make the most they can make on a yearly, on a yearly basis is uh, what a junior Congress person makes. Yeah. So it's like $180,000, whatever yeah. it is. It's a lot of money, right? It is. It's a ton of money. But you understand, secret service agents are working a shit ton of hours. They're not getting paid for. And it's still taxed. They're getting all this training and it's taxed. Um, but, and they're also, there's a, there's a yearly cap and there's a bi-weekly cap. And I can't tell you how many times, Jack, I have worked and my wife too, have worked and hit that salary cap mm. and the week is only half over. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, yeah, all those, all those extra hours that I'm working, all those, 
all those so there's no put there's my no life overtime like uh, I don't know police officer firefighter or something nope. like that. You, you hit that you hit that cap and it goes. It's you know, God and country. Thank you for your service. Um, and we, we'll we'll hold on to it and maybe maybe you'll we'll cut you a check next March uh, if it's within the budget still. And that whatever that cap is or whatever you've you've done, I mean, you just cut off. Let's say. 30, 38%, whatever taxes, yeah, whatever gone. Um, so it's not really that much, but, uh, man, it seems like there should be, sometimes. there should be special duty pay. Like when the military, we have, you know, your rank or whatever, and you know, you have your, whatever yeah. you get paid for that. Um, but then you have like demo pay, you have dive pay, you have jump pay, hazardous duty pay. Um, when you're overseas, it's not taxed. Yeah, we would get uh, that combat but... pay. So it was like, those ones add up. I think they add up at that adds quite a bit. That's why a lot of guys get out and they're surprised. Like, Oh wait, where did all this, this go? Cause in their mind, they're cutting like in half on their retirement. But yeah, a yeah. lot of that was special pays and that's not included in any of your retirement that's too type funny. stuff. Mm. So they're like, wait, what is that? Well, huh? And there's like, I think there's like uniform stipend or something, but regardless, I don't know. I never paid attention to any of that stuff. It was like, that was not, yeah, anyway, I didn't pay attention to any of that, but, uh, but it seems like there should be some hazardous duty pay for you guys for secret service. Well, there should be some, well, only when, some demo only when pay, you went overseas, you know, only when you went overseas, man, there should it's be crazy. all the time. It seems like there's, uh, that then it seems like that would be something that maybe could be done, uh, for you secret think Congress service. Would, I would think, think Congress would pass something, they but, would, but they're, Ridiculous. Nope. That's ridiculous. You know, even if you get those special, you know, I did a bunch of that special trainings and they have special units within this. You don't get that extra. There's no extra pay you can get. Uh, and it's just through tenure. Like if you have 15 years on the job, you can apply for and generally receive senior special agent status. Mm -hmm. And it's a stipend of a couple thousand dollars a year, which mm -hmm. if you break that down at 26.1 payments, it's like a hundred bucks a paycheck or some shit. Right. All right. No, the special pays are uh, are significant in the military, um, nope. and they should be for for you guys as well. That's pretty ridiculous. Mm. So, incentive wise, um, you really have to want to protect the president. You yeah, really have to be fired up about this uh, uh, counterfeit currency. Um, yep. You know, that sort of a thing. That's tough, man. That is a really tough place yeah. to be. We need more Gerard Butler movies, obviously, one. <laughs> and then two, we need right. special pays. So anybody listening right now, uh, Gerard Butler, do a, was it a fourth one he needs to do? I think there's three, right? I think there's three. three. Yeah. In, the, in this country, one in London, and then the other yep. one the following. Um, so I think there's, yeah, so make a fourth. And then Congress, come on. Uh, hopefully we get some more military guys in there that, uh, can look at this and be like, Oh wait, I had special pays in the military and special operations. Look at this guy out here. If we want some good people in this and there's a manpower shortage, do the math and have maybe some special pays could, uh, could help. Yeah. The, um, I am a, uh, I was just saying, I mentioned it a couple of times. My wife's a secret service agent and she's a boss within the secret service. And when I was an agent, bosses really didn't go and stand post too much. Mm. But right now, because of there's not enough folks and the mission has grown oh, exponentially, so um, the bosses are having to go out and stand post. Like, wow. And that's just like the bosses should be doing management type boss stuff, stuff. Right. I get it. And boss stuff. Not, not, you know, standing 12 hours next to a dumpster or stairwell, which is, wow. you know, it needs to be done, but... Right. No. Oh, man, that is wild. That is wild. Mm. Well, when did the writing thing start then? Did you, uh, since you're a little kid, were you reading the, the same books that I was growing up? And then, um, yeah. and then you, know, you always had this in your head to do at some point. And then at what point do you start writing these, um, when you're in the secret service? So I, 
always like you always wanted to be a writer. Uh, I know your mom was a librarian. My mom used to take me to the library all the time. And I remember as a little kid, I would get like upset stomach going to the library and not because I was, didn't want to be there, but because there were so many books there yeah. and I wanted to read them all, but I knew I couldn't. And I knew yeah. there were stories in there and I just wanted to like dive into everything. Yeah. And so I always wanted to be a writer. I always wanted to be an author. I, I, I wrote short stories as a kid. Um, as a kid, I read a lot of fantasy, uh, Dungeons and Dragons type stuff. Okay. And I, I still love that stuff to this day. Nice. Um, as I got older, then I started reading Clancy, Ludlum. Mm. Uh, and then uh, in college, we graduated college, graduated college in 2000. I started reading Vince Flynn and then Brad Thor came out. And then, it was, and then it was from there, it was just like, this is what I like. This mm -hmm. is what I want to read. Mm -hmm. And then as I read that, I, I was like, I eventually I want to write one of these. I want to write one of these. And then, uh, you know, life gets crazy. I had a very hectic, stressful job. I got married and kids. I leave the secret service and I had a bucket list of things that I wanted to do. One of those was to do a, a fitness men's bodybuilding tech competition thing. So, and then, and then one of those things was actually, did you do that? I did. <laughs> you, I'm looking you that up online. On I'm looking, I'm yeah. Good luck. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> if I'd known that before, we'd be putting one on the screen no, right that's now. That's why I didn't say shit. It's <laughs> not in your bio. No, it's not. It's not, but it's there. Awesome. Uh, anyway, but it was on a bucket list because I was, you know, I was into fitness, you know, I did personal training. My brother and sister were oh, wow. personal trainers at one point. So, you know, fitness was a big thing. I was like, yeah, it'd be cool to do something like that. Was it? And then when I, when I finished that, it was cool. Really cool. Really cool experience. When I finished that, I was like, next thing on the list is writing a book. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, what do I love to read? Thrillers. All right. Who's going to be my protagonist? Fucking Secret Service guy. All go. right. What happened? What's, you know, why are people going to care? Why do people want to read it? What? It's going to start the story. And I was like, well, what's going on at the time? And Afghanistan was still going on at the time. And I was just like, it's drones, it's the Taliban, the Secret Service, and it's revenge. Mm -hmm. eh, figure out a story. And then from there, right. I just started writing. Nice. No, it's fantastic. And uh, when did you write that? Were you still in or were you right when you got out? So it's after you yeah. got out and you got out. Yeah, it was what, after I got out. What year did you get out? Uh, 2013, actually. Okay. So you get out and you, uh, you, you, uh, get your Arnold on at the fitness yeah, competition. Yeah, I, got Arnold, I got my Arnold on. Nice. My, like my wife started traveling a bunch. I had two small children. So I was like working full time, but also daddy, uh, doing daddy duties. And that was one of the reasons why, well, actually the reason why I left the secret service was, yeah. uh, for my children. Cause my wife was traveling. I was traveling. We had a live in nanny, like someone else was raising my kids. And I was yeah. like, you know what? I have this opportunity. Um, these folks have approached me when they, you know, take this job over here, do this thing. And, and it allows me to, to be an influence on my, on my children. So I'm well, like, so I ended up doing that Yeah. and did, did the Arnold thing. And then I sat down, I was like, any spare, any spare time I have, I'm going to write this story. And it took some time because yeah. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Right. Man. So. Oh. And, uh, where did the, the, uh, the civil war buff <clears throat> history, um, that obviously you're, you're passionate about. I mean, it's woven into the, the story multiple times. Um, when, did, when did you start studying that? Is it you've always studied that? Or what's the what's story behind that side of the things? I always studied it. I got more fascinated by when I was actually in the Secret Service. One of the cool things about Secret Service is, is I got to travel a bunch. Like I, I traveled the world. I've traveled the country. You know, I've been to a lot of places. Mm -hmm. And I've had the opportunity when I've had some downtime to be near some 
battlefields, and there's just so much history within the United States. And the and the Civil War by itself just fascinates me because it's very similar to I see like what's going on today. I see I, I see very similar themes and issues, and the brother versus brother. Uh, how the, how the generals all went to West Point. They all Crazy. knew each other. They were all friends. They all fought in the Mexican Mexican American War together. Not all, but most of them. There's VMI in they there too, right? What's that? Was there VMI in there? VMI was in there. Yeah, Stonewall Jackson was teaching at VMI. And now I've lived in Northern Virginia for X amount of years, and I'm surrounded by this history. Mm. I'm surrounded by. Um, the Confederate history, the Union history, the battles, the people. And I'm, I was just so curious, not so much about, uh, I, I love I the, the tactics that were used in the battles, but the motivations mm-hmm. of the individuals. And they're not, it's not so black and white. In some instances, it is black and white. And in, in some other instances, it's not black and white. And it's, it's those stories that I was just gravitated towards. Yeah. And so like, you can't see it, but back here is bookshelves and bookshelves and bookshelves, yeah. kind of like your house. Yeah. And, you know, I have a whole bookshelf that's just all Civil War stuff. And so I wanted to, uh, I wanted to incorporate some of that into my writings because there's some really, really interesting, not just quotes, but just ideas on warfare, uh-huh. on tactics, on winning the hearts and minds of, of, the, of the people that were fighting. And in that instance, we were fighting ourselves. Yeah. Um, and so I just wanted to incorporate some of that. Um, and I think I incorporate Arlington, Arlington National Cemetery in it. And yeah. a lot of people don't realize Ar- Arlington was the home of R- Robert E. Lee yeah. and the union had taken it away from him because they needed a place to bury. There was so many soldiers were killed in that war, union soldiers. They needed a place to bury the soldiers. And so they took that from him and they, and they started burying soldiers on there. And so I wanted to incorporate that, incorporate um, some of the the lessons that were learned and from those wars. And then I just wanted that to be a central point that my characters can pull from some of the, uh, some of the instances that happened. Now you do a fantastic job with it. And that's the one thing that gives me hope today. You know, we seem there's so much division and it's, yeah. I mean, you have politics and tech and I, I, I frame it as uh, everybody else is walking into this L ambush tech up here, politicians <laughs> right here. And you're walking into this thing and they're the ones that benefit from division essentially to um, uh, galvanize bases on this side, obviously to make a profit on this side. And that yeah. connection in the gray area is that influence of not just behaviors, but thoughts. And uh, so, so we're walking right into that. And I'm curious if after the civil war, if we did have social media at the time, if we would still be a country today. Uh, you know what? I don't know. Uh <laughs> That'd be, that'd be interesting. I mean, they, they're equivalent to, to social media, the newspapers. I mean, everybody and every, everybody was reading the newspapers and there was wide distribution and there were many, many different outlets, um, and different points of view and editorials. So I, I mean, they had their, I, I guess it was not as in prevalent yeah. as social media is today. A constant buzz in your pocket yeah, that's requiring true. you to take an action and that action is not to bring together, but to continue to divide. And uh, yeah, it's Well, so, it's and so, and so the, I think the one difference we had uh, at the time and whether you agree with him or not, Abraham Lincoln um, decided not to persecute any of the officers that were involved in the Civil War. I, they, there was, and I found this out just reading, um, there was an indictment levied against Lee and a whole bunch of other of the generals, mm-hmm. but it was, 
uh, they didn't continue with it. They thought they, they threw out the indictment. They didn't start with it. And he just, he blanket pardoned basically everybody. Um, and so I think without that, yeah, I, I think, I think it with, without that, without having an individual there to, to provide that, that this is the path we're taking. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to unite. We're going to forgive and we're going to move on. We really don't have that today. We have a lot of in your face. Oh yeah. Cause there's, yeah. Cause some people benefit those people on other sides of the L ambush. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I think I used but, Lincoln second inaugural. I think they use those words in one of my, not the last one or the one before either devil's hand or in the blood. I incorporate that in there in a, a sentence or two. Um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's an important one for people to read. Uh, anybody listens to this should definitely go read that, uh, that second inaugural. Um, what, you know, you know, what's, what's fascinating about the civil war also is that, um, um, so, so for, after running drone Kings, I wrote a, a sequel to it. And then I was like, well, you know, as I was trying to get those, those, that book published, I was like, what, you know, what do I really want to write? And because I'm, I consider myself a history nerd and civil war, I was like, how can I marry those two things together? Secret service stuff that I know I have intimate knowledge about and civil war, which just fascinates me. How can I bring those two together? And so then I was like, I could write historical fiction with that with with the the opening scene at Appomattox Courthouse. Appomattox Courthouse is where Robert E. Lee surrenders to Ulysses S. Grant. And it was only like when that happens, the war is essentially over. It doesn't it doesn't end for a little bit like mm-hmm. hostilities don't end for a little bit later. But at that point the war is over. Like the Union has won. Yeah. But it's only a, a short couple of days after that, five days I think, that uh Abraham Lincoln is is assassinated. Okay. And I was just, I was just fascinated. Man, fascinated so you're writing that, that now? Are you, is that your yeah, next project? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. That's my, that's my project now. I love it. I love it. No, that's awesome. I can't wait to, can't wait to read that one. Man, that sounds awesome. And then uh, the crew reviews. Yeah. What, uh, where did you guys start this up? How did your little band of brothers get together and, and start cooking this thing up? So Mike Houts uh, and Sean Cameron and I, we met at Thriller Fest 2019. We actually met you there, I think, for yeah. the first time. We had, we had talked uh, through social media and offline or whatnot, but we actually met you in person. Yeah. I think you had, you had flown in last minute from Africa. Yeah. I think you did that. Africa I cut the trip. short, the trip short by a day or two, um, or something. And, uh, yeah, I came in, I was zero sleep and yeah, anyway, that was awesome though. Dude, yeah. But you would have never known because you were so gracious. <laughs> you were talking, you were talking to everybody. You were at the bar. We were, we were, we were at the, we were actually at the bar talking with you. Brad Taylor was there. Don Bentley was there. David Brown, your publicist at Atria books was there. And he was listening to Mike, Sean, and and me. We were talking. He goes, "Hey, he goes, how long have you guys known each other? Have you like known each other from college? <laughs> like, we just fucking met. Are you kidding me? Like, but we had interacted on social media also. Uh-huh. And he's like, wow, you guys should have a podcast. And me being, I'm like, what the f- podcast? <laughs> Do with a podcast? And like, uh-huh. that's just silly. And then you know, I did some did some looking at. It. I was like, dude, this is a crazy podcast. I'm like, this this could actually be a thing. And then Mike Mike House was like we should definitely do a podcast. And so we brought up this business plan and we all got together and we're like, all right, let's do this. Let's, let's find some authors that we could talk to kind of like similar, what you do, go beyond the books, talk mm-hmm. about their career, talk about the story, talk about the process, mm-hmm. um, provide some insight behind the, behind the scenes, what's going on in the industry, industry type stuff. And you in fact were our very first guest. Mm-hmm. There we go. There we go. That was, awesome. and, I mean, I love what you guys do because it's like a masterclass class 
in in writing um, with insights into the into the industry for anyone who wants to get into publishing, get into writing. Um, these things are like a masterclass from you have Lee Child on there. You know, you have yeah. all these people on there, and uh, and everybody has some great insights. They have little. They have every single person has at least one like nugget for sure. Oh my gosh. And all the conversations are so fascinating. Um, but, uh, yeah, all, all authors should, should listen to anybody who's aspiring to be an author and who's interested in their, in their favorite author, obviously. So, um, so I love listening to, to, to those. I get a lot out of it and, uh, you guys do a great job, um, well in these conversations, but, uh, yeah, it's interesting. The crew reviews. There it is. You you know what we like, Jack, because when we, when we were researching it, we saw that a lot of author interviews, um, they can be pretty dry, yeah. You know, uh, kind of boring, maybe. And so we wanted to liven that up. And how do you liven up anything? Alcohol, Jack, it? little, little yeah. high west, right? There it is. Right. There right. it is, right there. Nice. Yep, nice. So, I like it. So we all met at the bar, and so we're like, our theme should be, you know, you meet your favorite author. Mm-hmm. We're fans first and foremost. Yep. Meet your favorite author at a bar, ask them some questions, drink some booze, mm-hmm. and have a good time and laugh. Yeah. And make the audience laugh, yeah. If you can, no, you guys do. Um, it's yeah, I love it. But sometimes we need to we need to work on scheduling them for like <laughs> five o'clock, six o'clock, <laughs> seven o'clock at night. Because sometimes it's like one o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, I got <laughs> kid you, pickup, yeah. you know, going on. We got to figure this out a little better. I think that's happened the last like About two, two or times. Three times. Yeah, yeah, not the first time, but the other mm-hmm. the other ones. I think I had to go to lacrosse practice. I didn't want to show up, you know, smelling like a brewery. Uh, so, <laughs> okay. so the timing is the timing is key. Uh, but yeah, those are so from those interviews. What are some things that stand out? to you from all of those amazing authors that you've talked to over the last couple of years. There are a few uh, either standout Dude. authors you didn't know before and yeah. were super uh, inspired by or, or pieces of advice from people. Like what, do you, what are some of your takeaways from all those interviews and conversations that you've had over the last couple of years? So we, yeah, so it's, it's been, uh, I think three years now, mm. three, it's been three years. We've had, we have over 140 interviews or whatever it is. We have talked to some of the biggest um, names yeah. in the industry from Michael Connolly to Lee Child to um, Bob Crace, like Brad Meltzer, you, Mark Graney. Uh, and then we've also talked to a whole bunch of up and coming uh-huh. uh, folks who are, are just have some amazing abilities and skills and just, it's just inspiring. Um, there's so many like little nuggets. Uh, you can't see my screen, but I have like post-its and there's, there's so many st- so many different things. Who was just on recently? One of someone else from from Atria Publishing, uh, William Kent Kruger. Oh, nice, uh, awesome. He his his latest book, Fox Creek, came out. Yeah, it's, it's the nineteenth Cork O'Connor story. Yeah, it's a fantastic story. He uh, what a great he guy. mentioned he mentioned, and I'll read this. Uh, pace. So this is about the the craft of writing. Mm-hmm. Pace is important to keep suspense, uh, but conflict drives great stories mm. and i was like eh, that's important let me write that one down yeah yeah. and um, every one of the episodes has something like that in there it, it's it's unreal like we got to speak and i know you have a, as well uh david morell mm-hmm. and uh, we ended up making it a two-part interview just because you yeah. know there was just so much we could have made it even longer but yeah, yeah. there was just so much information so much there stuff. so great and and you just you can't get it anywhere you can't get that anywhere else no right i mean i know class. we wrote a book on writing and stuff but but yeah. just to hear him talk about all those things, um, we and we also have the uh, we have the opportunity to to talk to authors that 
I wouldn't have known about because mm-hmm. publicists send us their books and like, dude, would you please have this individual to yeah. debut or this is their second or third book? Can you have them on your show? And so you read the book and you're just like, holy crap, this person's amazing. Yeah. There's this one author, he writes crime, uh, crime noir. His name's Sean Cosby, S.A. Cosby. Okay. He wrote this fantastic book two years ago called Blacktop Wasteland. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah. Right. So it takes place in uh, southeastern Virginia. Uh, the pr- main protagonist is uh, African-American. It's a great story. Loved it. I was like, dude, I can't wait till his next book comes out. His next book came out uh, was Razorblade Tears. One uh, of the best books I've ever read. Nice. And 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 you would think he came out of nowhere. And what's fascinating is you talk to these individuals and they're like, no, they've been writing this entire time. They've been writing short stories and trying to get things published and and just honing and and mm. and refining their craft. Yeah. And then they finally, you know, get their one book published and it looks like they just came out of nowhere, but they're right. like, no, dude, they've been working on this forever. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Bob Dugani. Bob Dugani writes some really amazing stories and he just wrote um, The World Played Chess, which was my favorite read of last year. I'll have to read that. It's a coming of age story. It's a war story. Has to deal with the Vietnam War, mm. but it hits everything. Like it, it's just the pacing, the suspense, uh, the characters, like it is an, an amazing story and he's an amazing author. And I was just like, I'll, I'll read whatever you write now, dude, because I am a fan. Yeah. Um, then you have Greg Hurwitz yeah. who writes, I think, bar none, the best thrillers that you could find anywhere. Like he's so good. Um, I think he's a fantastic author. There's you, obviously, I'm reading all of your books. I'm a huge fan. There's Kyle Mills. There's just so much that we get out of that. Um that I, 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 it's so funny. My, my parents, they like to watch our podcast. They're like, why are these people coming on and talking to you? And I'm like, I have no idea, but it's, but it's, it's utterly amazing. Oh, uh, so yes, the crew reviews.com. If you go on there, you'll see all our interviews. Um, we liven it up. We drink a lot of booze at yeah. sometimes at the end of the show, we'll do some outtakes where one yeah. of us will be, have had too much to drink and, <laughs> and you, we show you the stupid. Yeah. It, uh, do you actually review anything on the crew reviews? I know that's something that comes up quite often. Yeah, no, we, it's, so there's two things. We have the crew reviews and we really don't review anything. Yeah. We, I think that's a part of the deal of the thing, you know, yeah. it's and, then, and, a then, thing. And, the, and then at the end we have, uh, uh, we always like to leave on a laugh. We have the lightning round yes, and there's really the nothing round. lightning about it. No, like, <laughs> no. You're like, here's the landing round. And then I, I cause I, I like do the same thing. You ask me clip. and I ask the answer in five minutes, you know, yeah. six, seven minutes, you know? Uh, yeah. Maybe the questions are just too perceptive. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's so every, everything we do is kind of like, it's not what we initially aimed for, but it works. No, you it's know? Awesome. Everyone, every, everybody we talk to, all the authors that come on, um, we've talked to a bunch. We've talked some, some people at the pinnacle of the career, some who are just starting out mm-hmm. is like, you had a blast on the show. Thank you so much for making it warm and inviting and yeah. fun. No, it's it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. I love it. I thank you guys for for having me on. And um, I love what Lee Child said. Uh, you had him on as he was retiring, as he was starting to write the the, the series with his brother in that tr- right. turnover Andrew. phase. And um, uh, he was like, I think one of you guys asked him what he's looking forward to most about retirement. And he said, uh, I'm looking forward to reading for pleasure again. 
Yeah. And now that really <laughs> stood out to me because I get it. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm like, well, I would love, really like to spend a little more time in these pages, but either the person's coming on the podcast or it's research or oh my a gosh, deadline, yeah. or I got to pick the kids up at soccer or whatever it is. Um, so, uh, that uh, was interesting to hear him say that. And I completely understand now. Well, I get that. Because you get a lot of, uh, you get a lot of books sent. People ask for, you know, blurbs and, blurbs, yeah. um, uh, forwards, uh, that sort of a thing. And you're trying to juggle it all and figure out when and, and all that. So, and you, and you don't want to say no, you, know. you don't, you, you really don't want to say no. I have that same problem. My to be red pile just for our podcast is like mm. stupid high. And mm. then I have the books I want to read for the stuff I'm writing now. Cause mm-hmm. it's, because I was telling before it's historical fiction. So it's just historical right. fact that I want to make sure I get that yeah. right. But then there's like the other stuff I want to read. Like yeah, right. sci-fi, All fantasy. This. Okay. And then, like, I'm like, or, and my nonfiction, like, like, where the fuck am I going to find time to read all that shit? Plus, I got kids. I'm like, <laughs> Those kids. I got a job. Uh, I got a dog. I got cats. I, you know. Yeah, cats too. Dogs dog and cats. Cats and dogs here. living together. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ghostbusters. Yeah. yeah, Ghostbusters. Yeah, I loved, loved yeah. it. Uh-huh. <laughs> the world's oh. coming to an end. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Did you see there's a new Fletch coming out? No. The movie. Click on after this, go to YouTube and, and check it out. Speaking of a book, a film, really? classics. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm fairly intrigued. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. John Hamm. I know. Because Fletch is. Oh, John Hamm? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. It is interesting. It's that, very okay. interesting. That make maybe a little bit. I mean, yeah, it makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah, no, it's, it's tough. He's, he's it's a tough thing know, to step man. into. I know it's really tough thing to step into. It popped up once again, like these tech companies that we just talked about. Like they know. I don't think I've ever looked up Fletch. I can tell you pretty much every line, or I could have anyway. A few years ago, <laughs> told you the whole <laughs> right, movie right, right. back to front, um, and it popped up on those things that you might like. You know, I've never mm. never done a Google search. I've never even said it out loud. I don't think, um, uh, but it knows. They know. So Dude. it popped up and I clicked on it and I'm like, whoa, John Hamm. I'm like, interesting. At first I was the same thing. I had the same reaction as you. I was like, oh, like, no, you can't mess with that. No. And then I saw John Hamm and I'm like, oh, interesting. That's an interesting take. So we'll see. That's we'll see. I, you can tell he studied it too. You can tell, I think, and I'll be looking for this in his interviews when, uh, when it starts coming out, uh, if he was a fan, like if he was a longtime Fletch fan. Right, right. I'm like guessing like he, he was. Exactly. I'm guessing he was because of just the clips that they show in the preview that's out there. And after we're done, check it out. Um, but I think you'll think the same thing. You're like, ah, okay. This guy was a fan. Oh, so is it already been filmed? I think so. Yeah. Because the preview's oh, out. Yeah. Gonna, holy shit, dude. Yeah. It's in post. It, this is the one. Yeah. Here's the one thing I don't like about uh, uh, Hollywood is that they there's so much original content out there. Yeah, like if back. they were to just go and and get some original content, like why are we going back? I get it. They're I think very they're risk like adverse. Yeah, I think they're like fan I base already it. there. You know that sort of a thing. So I see That's the temptation. Annoying. I know I see yeah. the temptation. There's a couple Same things thing. I'd like to see made. I won't say one of them because I want to do it maybe one day. But I think it's passed. I think I missed it. I think it it had to be done in about '87. Maybe 88. So I don't think you can do it. But um, but there's some that I'd, oh. like, I'd love to see uh, remade. Um, and I'll mention one because I know I, I already tried because it's the, the rights are already, no one's getting rid of it. Uh, Wild Bunch. I mean, such a classic. 
1969. Oh. You have Wild Bunch, you have uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, and you have yeah. True Grit all coming out in the same Grit, year. Yeah. All very different. One speaks to the past, well, True Grit, uh, one to the present, Butch Cassidy, 1969, you know, you can tell, obviously, from the music choices and things in there. And then you have the future with the Wild Bunch. Um, and if you could do the Wild Bunch with, like, some modern, uh, instead of ketchup packets kind of exploding on people and that sort of a thing, uh, and take some of the semi-funky scenes out of there that are semi-disturbing if you know what, you know what I mean? If you watch the film, um, and like, but keep it true, true to its core, uh, that transition, you know, gunfighter to modern times and, and just film it with some, uh, some modern techniques, but not jack it up, not make it modern day, make it back then, but with modern filming techniques. That would be I pretty think cool. You could, I think you could crush. I think you could crush. But anyway, we'll see. But the rights are already, already checked. Already oh, you already checked, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I, you know what? Here's here's one, you know, I was talking about original content. Here's one story I think uh, deserves to be made. We had, we had Tim Brady on the crew reviews. He's an author. He writes nonfiction. Mm. Um, and he wrote this story, uh, Three Ordinary Girls. And it has to deal with the Dutch resistance during World War II. Cool. And three girls who were assassins for the for the Dutch resistance. I think I heard about this or watched something on it over the last year or two. You got you have to called? read this book. It's called Three Ordinary Girls by Tim Brady. It is a fascinating read. And if I hadn't known that it was um true you know, nonfiction, yeah. I would have been like, this is a fantastic thriller. Yeah. It, it re, he does such a, an amazing job highlighting the things and the skills and, and the tribulations that these, these three women had to go through during the Nazi occupation mm. of the Netherlands. Um, and then the, the amazing feats that they do. So, you, you know, when we write stories, you have um, car chases and running gun battles and stuff like that. And assassinations, you know, snipe like you, you have you, you, the sniper. I'm fairly familiar. Or whatever. Uh, you're familiar with it. How about... An, uh, an assassination running, not a running gun battle, but on bicycles, bicycles. in the Netherlands yeah. during World War II. That's and crazy. so there's a shootout between good guys and bad guys on bicycles. That's wild. Yeah. But it really happened. Like, it, yeah. like that's, I'm going to check that out. Amazing yeah. stuff. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check that one out. Man. Yeah. Great story. Great story. That's, I'd love to see that be made into a movie. Yeah. No, there's so many, there's so much great and so many things that are amazing out there. But once again, you're, you have certain uh, assets to allocate finances, <laughs> people, um, and they got a rack and stack all those different projects in Hollywood. Yeah. And it's a, it's a crazy, uh, it's a crazy place out there. Well, that's why, that's yeah. why we were, we were pleasantly surprised and so happy for you that the oh, terminal list you. got not only option, but then, you know, it made it to the point where I actually went into production because so many things, and we, we, we get to talk to so many authors where stuff gets optioned mm -hmm. and you're right there and, you know, people are getting hired and then the floor falls out from underneath. Mm -hmm. the the production and then nothing happens yeah and you know gets everyone's hopes up high and you think it's going to happen and for you know your for the terminal list to actually be made dude that's something special it's an amazing uh, thing thank you thank you no i learned a ton definitely learned a ton i'm fortunate that they brought me in so i could learn so much over that so cool. couple year period it's dangerous man you can put in jack carlin and jack car learn learn new hmm, things i know i'm always dangerous. soaking it in i'm always soaking it in so <laughs> little uh, do they know you're gonna be running <laughs> everything soon oh uh, i'm just thankful that we had it got one made you know and i was get to be part of the experience so maybe maybe if, two uh, maybe two we shall see we shall see we that? shall uh -huh. see 
But uh, even if nothing else happens, learned a ton, wonderful experience. Even if nothing else separate from that happens in Hollywood, no, that's fine too. Um, just made some great friendships. You know, that's yeah. what really stands out to me. Uh, the friendships that I that I made. Um, and who, uh, who and told we'll us that? Uh, I think maybe it was Mark Mark Rainey. You know, he writes The Gray Man. Mm-hmm. He was like, you know, he goes, I hope the movie does great and everything because it's a it's a huge advertisement for his books. Yeah. Because he's, he's an author. He's a writer. He's like, exactly so right. sell more books. It's you a very, it's a very expensive commercial. Yes. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> that is it. Very expensive commercial. Um, but yeah, there's one other one that I looked at uh, and the rights are already snagged up, but I won't say what it is. Um, somebody might do it, but I think it's probably too sensitive in today's day and age to do it right. Oh, so I think it's, uh, interesting. Yeah. So I think it's going to end up just oh. uh, gathering dust, unfortunately, because it would be really cool to do it again. But I'll... I'll keep that secret, secret service stuff. <laughs> you tell, you tell me I'll when tell you, you stop fine. recording. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, awesome, awesome. Well, dude, it's been awesome talking to you and yeah, we'll spend some time it, together. And like I said, that's why I love this podcast is because we get to do this and we wouldn't have put this on our calendars with everything that we have going on um, if not for a podcast. So um, thank you for for taking the time. Thank you for writing Drone Kings. Uh, anyone who's listening to this, uh, agents, publishers, check it out, read it, um, and. Uh, uh, and take a Thanks, take a risk Thanks, on it. Man. It's not that big of a risk because it's awesome. So um, appreciate well, that, Jack. Of course, of course. It was uh, it was a great read, and uh, thank you for writing it. But I'm really excited about the second one. I uh, hope yeah. you get that out and share that with me at some point because I know how this one ends, obviously, um, and uh, how it could lead into something else. Um, and then also this historical fiction on the Civil War sounds fascinating, especially coming from someone like you who's so passionate about it. So I'm looking forward to, to reading that as well. Dude, thanks for giving me the opportunity to come on and talk to you. I know I, we talk offline and, and you know, we've talked on the crew reviews, but be able to spend some time just talking about, you know, whole bunch of different things. I, yeah. I appreciate it. Oh, appreciate absolutely. Because I know you're a busy man. I know you're busy. <laughs> well, so are you. So are you. You got another, <laughs> you got another book to write, get some kids to juggle, uh, yeah, new yeah. job and, uh, and all that. At least you're not got doing the, at least you're not doing the, uh, the Arnold competitions anymore. You <laughs> no, know, that's off no, the plate. Oh, oh, but I will tell you, my wife's like, Hey, when are you gonna, when are you gonna do one of those again? Cause you're pretty good. <laughs> Oh, geez. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. 45. Yeah. Let me do that. Yeah, sure. Add that. To, yeah. You can be in the master's master's division. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm the, in the secret service. We call those hair bags. Yeah. Look at the hair bag up really? there. Why, why is that? It's just, it's just a hair being an old dude up oh. there. Like, what are you doing? This is a young man's game. Young what are you doing? Game. Get out of here. Oh yeah. Oh, brutal. Oh yeah. man, yeah. man. Well, awesome. Well, next time we'll, uh, hopefully I'll see you in person at either, I don't know, BoucherCon or Thriller Fest next year. I think the next BoucherCon after this one is in San Diego, I think. And then Thriller Fest is in, in New York. So New York, um, yeah. I'll yeah. be at the next Thriller Fest. Okay, uh, maybe the BoucherCon. Yeah, nice. maybe the next BoucherCon. Cool. But we'll definitely see you. Uh, we'll see you next year for your yeah, next that's book. That's right, dude. that's right. See you in the springtime for sure on the crew reviews. Uh, I got to go lock myself back in uh, in my cabin <laughs> and, uh, and finish that one up. So uh, in the, yeah. In the home stretch, but that's what I always say. In the home stretch, my wife is like, "Why didn't you just say that? You were just in the home stretch. Didn't you say you were almost done?" I'm like, "Well, these things are all." It's always the home stretch. Like how? Yeah, these. Yeah, yeah. And do me a favor when you when Jack when you do write a Secret Service guys into your books, uh, make them good guys. Don't make (sighs) them the guy that's the bad guy. Come on. I know. I know. I got to worry. Well, there's there's some. Yeah. 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 Sometimes, yeah, you never know. You never know how they're going to end up. Uh, Do I have anybody in this (laughs) next one? I'm trying to think if I have a Secret Service agent in this one. I might. I'm in a spot where I might. 
Um, but I'm not sure, and I'm not sure if they're yeah, good or bad. Just make him a good guy. Don't make him, don't make him the guy that's going to go and kill the president or some shit. <laughs> the honey, she fe- he fell for the honey trap. He wasn't as strong <laughs> as you were. He fell uh, for it. Yeah. yeah it's, sometimes it's it's convincing. Very, yeah, yeah. Very powerful. Very powerful. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> I'll keep that well, in mind. Not for me, because my my wife has a gun and she that's knows right. how to use it. She's that's right. a better shot than me. And I, that's incentive right there. We yeah, tell that. yeah, we're fucking around. <laughs> that's right. That's it. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, man, thanks so much for this. And uh, thanks for all your support and uh, the support of the crew reviews. And uh, man, hopefully I'll see you soon. Thanks, bud. Awesome. Take care. Later, brother. See you, a special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Navy Federal Credit Union. I've been a member since 1996. That is my first year in the military. And right now, when you become a member of Navy Federal Credit Union, life gets better. That's why they created a fully loaded car buying experience. I bought cars and motorcycles using it in the past. You can finance, buy, protect, and enjoy your auto purchase all from one convenient place. They have pre-approval that's good for 90 days, so you know what you can afford while you shop. They also offer great auto loan rates. You can shop for new and used cars with Navy Federal's car buying service powered by True Car. You can also get exclusive member savings with Carfax, Sirius XM, and more. They're always available with 24-7 member service representatives to answer any questions. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash car buying. Credit and collateral subject to approval. Navy Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. Check them out. NavyFederal.org. I want to thank my friends at Black Rifle Coffee for sponsoring the Danger Close podcast. I've been a huge fan for the longest time. Drink Black Rifle Coffee every day. And if you keep your eyes peeled, you will notice that perhaps Chris Pratt is wearing a Black Rifle Coffee t-shirt, not unsimilar to this one, in the Amazon series adaptation of The Terminal List. Now you can go to blackriflecoffee.com slash dangerclose and use code dangerclose20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Black Rifle Coffee, America's Coffee, keep crushing. Today's gear segment is sponsored by Schnees. And go to schnees.com, check out all they have going on. They have a ton of great things on their website. Uh, check them out on Instagram. But today I want to talk about boots because I love everything that they have going on up there, but I probably have 10 different pairs of their boots. But I started with these right here, the Granites. And I love these boots. I got my first elk in these, uh, muzzleloader hunt, New Mexico, about a decade ago. These are the exact same boots right here. So they have some miles on them. They have been to uh, Alaska after bear, wolf, uh, moose, and I just love these boots. So if I go into the backcountry and I have some weight on my back and I'm planning on coming out even a little heavier, then these are the boots that I take. I was wearing these in Kamchatka, Russia on a bear hunt where I went to do some research for Savage Sun. And for those of you who know Savage Sun, that's my third novel in the James Reese series. And uh, you know a lot of it takes place there. And then there's a little story that I fictionalized and dropped into Alaska in that uh, in that story near kind of closer to the beginning. But these are the boots that I wore. Absolutely love these boots right here and love all the people at Schnee's and just can't say enough good things about them. But they are 
handcrafted in their Italian boot factory. That's right. You'll find no mass production machinery there. Just a team of world-class boot makers doing their thing. Schnee's only sells boots directly to you, the consumer. This means there is no middleman markup like other boot companies out there. That means that they can put higher emphasis on the materials that go into their boots and you get more boot for the money. Higher quality materials and more boot for the money. From the leathers to the tread, every Schnee's boot is made from the absolute finest materials available. Backed by Schnee's industry-leading customer service and support. If you have a question or need a solid boot recommendation for your hunt, give them a call. You'll actually get a person on the line who wears the boots and is ready to help. There are a lot of boots out there uh, in their lineup, so definitely give them a call. Let them know what you're going to be doing, and they can make a recommendation for you. When you shop at, shop at schnees.com, that is S-C-H-N-E-E-S.com, make sure you use the promo code JACK21. When you do, you'll get 10% off your pair of Schnee's boots and logo wear. Again, that is S-C-H-N-E-E-S.com, promo code JACK21. These handmade hunting boots usually sell out fast, so grab your pair today. Take care of your feet. Don't compromise. Upgrade to Schnee's today. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. Look at this. Chuck Norris water. What? This is from Chuck Norris's ranch. Sea force water. Bam. That's pretty cool. Um, awesome. Chuck, thank you. Amazing. And look at these. These are the whiskey glasses. They were on the website yesterday for about a minute. So uh, they went quickly. There will be more coming, but these are made from High West whiskey bottles, and I only get a certain number of those. I should probably start drinking more, though. Uh, that way I can make more of these glasses, but cut off, sanded down, bam, right there. There will be more, um, but uh, they're going to be in limited quantities because uh, I just shouldn't be drinking that much, but bam, there they are. Awesome. Thank you for everybody who jumped on there and got them and everybody else that didn't get them that wanted them. They will be back. Very cool. All right. What else is going on? Everly Stock. This jacket, man, awesome. Most people know Everly Stock for their backpacks, but there's a clothing line, and uh, this down jacket is uh, a part of that line. So Glenn Everly was on the podcast not long ago, and he is an Olympian uh, veteran and has the Everly Stock Company Awesome guy. Definitely follow him and his adventures on Instagram. He's always flying around uh, in this amazing plane doing all sorts of cool stuff. So uh, thank you guys for sending this along. And Kansas City Cattle Company right here, veteran owned and operated. They sponsored the Terminal List podcast where I break down each and every episode of the show with the showrunner and my buddy, former SEAL, Jared Shaw, who plays Boozer in the series and is also a producer and technical advisor. And we had a great time, but Kansas City Cattle Company sponsored that and they are such a great company. Uh, I mentioned to them that two veterans that I was in Normandy with recently this past June had never had fillets. And so they sent a huge care package of all sorts of stuff to these guys and then followed it up with another huge care package that was just full of fillets. So these guys at 90 years old got their first fillets from veteran owned and operated Kansas city cattle company. So that was pretty cool. And over here, this is send me, it's a documentary and you can find it now on Amazon, or you can go to send And right there, all proceeds from it, if there are any, uh, go to, uh, back to helping 
those left behind in Afghanistan. So very powerful, extremely emotional. It is out now. Once again, it's on Amazon, but uh, go to sendmemovie.com and check it out there. And until the next time, take care out there. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. To find out more about Chris Albanese, you can go to his website. That is C-E-A-L-B-A-N-E-S-E.com. And you can go follow him on the social channels from that website. Also follow at Crew Book Reviews on Twitter. See what they have going on. Listen to that podcast. You can follow me at Jack Carr USA on the social channels, officialjackcar.com. That is the website. You can sign up for the newsletter there and click on shop for the merch. And if you enjoyed the conversation, be sure and leave a five-star rating and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next time, take care out there. Be safe, stay strong, keep fighting. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original, Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels, mm. you know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot, like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What are box you... do you fit in? Which exactly, box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy or <laughs> right, right. An How, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.